Hey guys, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Thank you for joining us once again with another episode of uh, the National Fire Radio podcast. As always, to my right, your left, Rob Ridley. Hey, buddy. What's going on, man? How Thanks for uh, sitting in on this one again, man. I love doing this. We are on location uh, for this episode at Ragtop Industries, Hamden, Connecticut. Uh, these guys, Pete Callen and his crew here, they do incredible work. And, uh, and I'm honored to be here. We've shot here before, and uh, I want to call this home because it is... Quite buffy. They got a they got a lot of great stuff happening here. It's a great away game. Helmet refurbishment at its best. Mm-hmm. Um, this gentleman sitting across from me, Jason Irvin. Jason, thanks for joining us tonight, man. I appreciate thanks, it. Jeremy, I appreciate that, Rob. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. This is uh, this is a real treat. Um, I've gotten to know Jay uh, over the last few years now uh, through some mutual friends. Yeah. Um, a little background on Jay. Uh, retired out of the city of Warwick, Rhode Island. Twenty one years. Retired as a lieutenant of the Special Hazards. Yes. Yep. Uh, from there, like he didn't have enough going on outside with outside training and so on, he now took on uh, a career position with the city of New London, Connecticut. Yes. Connecticut. Yep. And yep. Uh, and that's kind of brandy new. Still has the new car smell. Yeah, on that the Wailing one. City. It's a great place to work. Good people. It's a good I place love it. to be. I know how passionate you are about the fire service, and that's kind of how we met through mutual friends that really are are um, you know dive both feet in on. Training, teaching, education, tradition, history, all of it. I know a lot of that is and is who you are. Yeah. And so really this conversation today is, is a lot about your story, um, you know, and, and your upbringing. I know that you're a, uh, you know, your father was a firefighter before you in the city that you retired from. So I'm looking forward to really hopping in. So why don't we just yeah. hop right into right. To chapter one, man? Give me, give me a little background about yourself. Sure. Absolutely. What a great place to be, though, for the, tra- know, right? for the traditions of the fire department, to be in the place where 100%. we're keeping traditions alive and to talk about, you know, fire background. And, you know, I'm waiting for the bar. I'm waiting for the popcorn machine. I'm waiting for Peter to expand. <laughs> the wheel. You know, it's great. The big wheel. Yeah, yeah, we the did wheel talk about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, Jay Urban, City of Warwick Fire, retired in uh, 2018, born and raised in the city of Warwick. My dad was a First generation for our family fireman, uh, got on the job in 1967, and uh, was born and raised in the city, and you know, grew up, you know, son of a fireman. Right. You know, he worked three jobs, you know, because he, you know, that's what they did, and he was always working, and you know, go to the firehouse when I was a kid and visit, and you know, fell in love with the fire services at an early age, and I knew that's just what I wanted to do. Like everybody else would go, you know, go down that road. What was your first memory, uh, like, you, like if, if you can think about it, from like when you were like, "Wow, like this is really cool what Dad does," and I want to kind of follow in this footstep. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's funny because I do have an early recollection of you know my dad and how he was for a brief period of time. Yeah, we moved to the town of West Greenwich in Rhode Island, which was very rural. Like for some reason, my family decided they were going to move out there, and it was an awful experience as a kid. <laughs> you know, but I remember my dad telling me. One night, there was a knock on the door, and it was the local volunteer fire department. And they said, you're on the job in Warwick? My father's like, yeah. He goes, you're joining the volunteer fire department. And dad's like, no, I don't really have the time. i got young kids. I'm not interested in it. Like, you don't understand. It's not a choice. It wasn't a choice, yeah, right? right? <laughs> so I remember you know, being as a young kid, and I remember one time my father throwing myself and my brother in the back of the pickup truck, like not in the cab, but in right. the back. Absolutely. Yeah. Racing to go to a car fire. And I remember him jumping out of the pickup truck, and whoever the gentleman had with the line was not doing it very proficiently. And I remember my dad literally grabbing it from him 
knocking down the fire and handing right. it back to him and getting back in the car. And I'm like, that's my dad. And I, you know, as he was working in Warwick, when I would just see him, when I go to visit the firehouse and the bell would hit, you know, you just see the drive that he had, you know, as an officer, because I only knew him when he was a boss and just everything that so he did. So powerful yeah. as a kid to see your father in that right. light. Yeah, I mean... And even on the flip side, and I remember just, you know, on the opposite end, I remember as a kid, my dad being at work, and you thought when your dad was at the firehouse, you know, you had free reign of the house. Yeah, his right. dad was at work. Well, yeah. We were giving my mother a, we were giving my mother a hard time one day at home, myself and my brother, like really hard, and she called the firehouse. And next thing you know, all I heard was that maxi brake sound at the front of the out door. Out front? Oh, out man. front, and my brother and I went to win, and when in comes running in my father. Oh, and my, my brother God. and I scattered, but he found us both. That's so, you know, around. but seeing that what the France come up in front of the house, right, and hearing that sound, that Oh, my gosh. And watching the guys in the truck, like, laughing like they knew. Like, it was bad. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Did he talk about, did he bring the firehouse home with him? Well, we kind of, you kind of had no choice. Where we well, because, yeah, he like, I yeah, know, oh, yeah, I know he, some people where it was, yeah. it was a job. It was, it was a job. It wasn't a, it, it was just, it was their job. And yeah. when they came home, they turned it off, right? And no. didn't share that. But it sounds like yeah, he, he pretty entrenched. He wouldn't really share like the daily operations of what he did, but he would work as a state instructor and he would do oh, okay. live burns all the time and he would take me with him. Gotcha. He'd go there, and like when I got on the job, like guys that worked for him would say, "Hey, what was it like with you, kid? Like, would your dad wake you up in the middle of the night and right. like say, what's the fire triangle? I need to know it right now.' Yeah. And like, oh, you know, like was that what it was like for him? Yeah. And growing up, you know, he didn't necessarily come home every day and say, "This is what we did. You know, this is what I had." But with all his teaching and instruction and bringing me as you know as a young kid, sure. as a teenager and watching him oh, that's incredible watching yeah, him right. teach and right. some of the things that he did as an instructor I carry around I look at these funny things like he would walk around in a live burn and take rocks and throw them up in the air and wait for a student to say what he was doing he'd be like oh I'm checking the wind direction you know and <laughs> yeah, just watch their faces you know well, that was that's, my dad that's you know, he had that yeah, dry right. humor but yeah whenever you get that from yeah, yeah. shocking right yeah. exactly must yeah. skip a generation that's funny but he you know he just carried himself well and he was very well respected and you know that's all I knew and that's what I wanted to do so and, massive influence yeah massive influence on on my life and so did you so when you when it came to Warwick then it was just it was a given well it yeah I thought it would be a given but it was a process talk about like it. anything else so I went to college at Rhode Island College right out of high school, and I pretty much just spent my parents' money on nothing. Walked out of there, didn't finish my degree, because I knew that I pretty much didn't want to do that. And it was a little contentious time for me and my dad, because I, had just, I was essentially dropping out of college. So I had to find some direction, and I had taken EMT in, in college, and I went to uh, a gentleman that my dad knew that worked on the North Providence Fire Department, and... Um, you know, I went to him and I said, you know, what am I going to do? He goes, well, if you thought about going to paramedic school. So well, I didn't really think about it. In Rhode Island, paramedics isn't really a thing, you know, but the rest of the country, it is. So I said, you know, this might be a good idea because it would get me nationwide or I could apply sure. anywhere right. because it just wasn't happening. <clears throat> so I found my home in paramedic school. I went to school in, in Memorial Hospital in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and did it for two years and excelled and did very well. And I finally found my niche in that time frame and was able to do well. And 
you know, my dad's like, all right, maybe this kid's got something here. Maybe something's going to work. So I started applying all over the place. I had taken the test for Warwick in 1995 when I was just about finishing school. And I finished 13th on the list, and they took 12 right away. So I knew they might have a second class. They right. might not, but it wasn't happening right away. So I went to work in Worcester uh, for private EMS company that okay. did 911 backup in the city of Worcester, but all the surrounding county towns around Worcester County. So I worked as a medic up until 97 up there. Great experience, good people, great city to work in. I mean, tough city, to be, tough city, but to be a lot brand, of work to be a brand new medic. Yeah. To work in the city. Phenomenal place yeah, you, to, yeah. to learn. You certainly dive in with both feet. hundred percent. Yeah. So it was phenomenal. How often were you doing the backup into the city of Worcester? Oh, well, I mean, at the time, they had very few transporting units back in the early 90s. So on my 24 in that city, it was constant. Okay. You know, as well as going around to all the other neighboring. Before the fire departments really came and took over ALS, it was back in that day when, you know, you would just go out to wherever and just bring them into the city. So it was a good, you know, experience to learn about. So, and then I got the call. March 3rd, 1997, I started 12 of us in the class. Uh, it was a great time. It was a 12-week academy back then. Great group of people. We bonded right away. We did very well. And uh, it was good. You know, I had made it. And uh, it's funny because in Warwick, your badge number is everything. Whatever three-digit or two-digit number they give you for your badge number, that's your life. It goes on all your paperwork. It goes on everything. It's on everything. Does it go in the order of hire? No, so, no, no okay, it doesn't okay. go anywhere. Got it, got it, got it. So some people it does or whatever. So mm-hmm. that you can recycle. Mm-hmm. So, but my dad... Well, you can recycle. You can recycle. Okay. So my dad retired in 95. Before right. I got on, I was on the list, but he retired. He had a heart attack, um, had to have surgery, had to get retired off the job early, like 29 years before he wanted to. He didn't leave on his own terms. But his, he was the 128th fireman hired in the city of Warwick. So he had that one to eight. That was yeah. everything. Yeah. You know, and... I'm in the academy, and they came to hand out roll call numbers and badge numbers for everyone, and I got his. They had held it for me. You know, in that time frame, they didn't give it up. So it stayed in my family till I left. And then I'm leaving, and I was kind of concerned about it, you know, because it's like it was part of our family. It's an odd odd thing, but it's your number and whatever. And I had a young kid, Colby, who got assigned to me on the hazards for like a year because my back step guy got promoted. Phenomenal fireman, learned, loves his job, everything. He's a great friend of mine now. Like two months after I retired, he took the number. He left his number that he was given and took mine. Wow. So I know now that it's locked up till he leaves and somebody else down the road won't get it. Legacy. I mean, it's 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 not just your legacy, but your father's, right? Like the 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 pride and ownership that has gone into one twenty eight. Yeah. In the city of Warwick, right? Right. And now rests on a kid that was one of your backstep firemen right. in your in your special hazards company you know, before you retired. And a great fireman. Well, a great kid that just wanted to learn. Yeah, you know, hell yeah. And just wanted to work. And, well, you're you not going to pass it on to anybody. No, I mean, exactly. And I didn't have a choice, you know, for this kid. It was a great honor. I mean, phenomenal. Honor. That's fantastic. So, yeah, we go through the academy and... Um, Talk to me about the academy real quick because sure. I have to think, I know probably what a big moment it was for you to finally get that call for... For your for the city of Warwick, where you have family roots, you lived there, you grew up there, yep. you know, and so on. But how proud was your father? Beside himself. Talk to me about that. So it was, my dad had gone through a time when he had left the job that there were issues with his disability pension, and he had some issues, and how he got 
released from duty and whatever. So he had for a while, he was, and he didn't take coming off the job very well. Right. He didn't take it well. It was before he wanted to go and he didn't get to leave. It wasn't on his terms. It was not on his terms. So when I had gotten that call, obviously he was beside himself and going through the academy. I was still living at home at the time. So every night I'm coming home, you know, he's, what are you doing? Who's, who are you with? What's this going on today? What are you doing here? How'd you doing this way? All this and everything. And he kind of was like re-energized for a little bit. He's like, okay, things are going to be good here. And the way the system works is like he didn't have a hook. Like he couldn't get me assigned somewhere and like somebody it. like no, it's it's wherever they put you, they put you. So you'd be fine. And he had people that were gonna look after me. And it was good. And you know, we went through the academy and every day and then that graduation ceremony, it was phenomenal. There was an article in the local paper about awesome. me and my dad and the tradition. We're a hometown family that. too. I mean yeah. it was a, Yeah, I mean we were really there. born and raised in the city and right. you know, and but, that's which you don't see I don't think as much anymore of that born and raised like you see people, you know, and and I don't want to say they're playing the game because it's no. it's the game to be played if you want to get into this profession. True. But like Absolutely. for you to have that like you went to school there, you grew up there. Yeah. Yep. You know, dad was able to you know, go out on the air and come, come, oh, come, come in and beat the crap out of me, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, but I mean, you know, even where we did the academy at headquarters in Engine One, as a kid, hearing that American La France, that Detroit coming up the hill by my house with the Federal, like yeah. running to the window right. and catching a glimpse as that I'm right by, there, man. I'm you know, right there the, with you. Like the two bubblegum lights yeah. on the side of the foam turret on the front, and like the guy just standing on the back uh, up in the cab, and I'm like, yeah, like, why didn't I pull the hook at the corner more, you know, just to have them come, like, why, did, you know, exactly, like, like that. why yeah, didn't, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. just to run right. into my house and watch I'm it I get it. You know, just to it. hear that and just to be able to now, as I'm getting in my truck to go down the hill to the firehouse, you know, yeah. and I, it's, it was everything. And it was a 12-week academy. It, it was your typical mid-90s academy. Yep, fire one, go through a couple weeks of ride time, you're blessed, and you're off on your way. Talk to me about your proby life in the firehouse. You know, I mean, you are a legacy, yep. but yep. It, it, the system didn't allow for any special punches being pulled or anything. So, like, you get into the firehouse, you got to make the name for yourself. I mean, yep. you can't... You can't ride the coattails of your father that was there before yeah. you and so on. you gotta, you got to make a name for yourself. 100%. First, me. first day of ride time, still in the academy, assigned engine one for the, for the tour. I walk in, this gentleman driving the engine there, Joe Rosero, phenomenal fireman, old school guy, said, hi, I'm Jay, I'm here for ride time. He knew who I was. He <laughs> yeah. looked right at me and said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Turns around and walks away. He left me standing there. I'm like, okay, right, I know my role. And that was it. And it didn't matter who you were, where you came from, you had to make a name for yourself, and you had to do it. There were people that loved my dad, there were people that didn't like my dad. Sure, of course. So, and you just, you were put in your place from day one. I was put in my place minute one, and I knew right there that nothing was gonna carry moving forward. And went through, and um, my first summer there, I was assigned, we had floaters. So, you were filling a manpower spot week to week, depending on who's on vacation right. or whatever. So I was assigned as a floater. I worked at Station 8. Old Station 8 was on the airport property. Like TF Green, the international airport, yeah. was in Warwick. Right. But it was in an old hangar. It was just a hangar. And the airplanes would wake you up at 4 o'clock in the morning. It was like, okay, it's the big not glass the be- doors. not the best place to Oh, no, work. God, no, no, yeah. no. But that's where I spent all summer, floating between Engine 8 and different spots in there. And it was a great summer. And... 
started to learn the job. And in Warwick, you can bid spots based on your seniority once or twice a year, depending on the openings. And then I did what every new guy did. I drove the ambulance. I drove the rescue, as we call them, for right. a year. And just learned, you know, I was a medic. Did very well. You know, that aspect of me was, was easy. Some good fires my first year. And I really started nice. to get into the job and did that for a little bit. And then went flip-flop floating for a little bit and then got assigned in, like, late 99, driving engine one. So I'm, like, thinking to myself, I made it. I, I'm driving the engine on a great shift in my neighborhood in a shithole firehouse. Right. right? But, it was, but it's, it was, it's yeah. our shithole, right? I love that. It's, what a it great quote. Shithole, but it's ours. What a great we quote. There's so much to that. Oh, it, but, you know, as, you know, we talked about it wasn't like one of these like 1800s typical New England firehouse with the big hose tower and the big arch doors and the brick. You know, right. you look at it like, God, I'd love to work there. No, it was a shithole. Yeah. It was a garage that was there in the 50s that right. had a little bit of living quarters and it was like being a coal miner. You know, you had the diesel exhaust and the guy smoking in the kitchen. You couldn't escape it. And uh, But it was ours and it was busy. It was like 3,000 runs a year great fires and you wanted to be there and it was a great truck it was like a 91 e1 with the big foam turret on the oh, front yeah. of it oh yeah you know and just the truck would move yeah and it was yeah. just fun and what a great crew and you know i enjoyed it immensely so this is this is what four years in, no you got hired in 97 this is 99 yeah, two years on so two years on great, you got the driver's seat of the, of the busy en busy engine company busy engine right cool. going to a lot of work yeah, and one of the things you said before was that with, with this with this firehouse like the only spot i don't know if i'm jumping ahead but like with that kitchen table so that kitchen area yeah like it was the kitchen was the only place because the day room was frigid cold except in the summer where it was boiling hot yeah. the bunk room the ceilings like every time it rained like the water would come down from the ceilings and it was just awful they had a tiny little loft that we used to hide in but you couldn't stay there all day but the kitchen was the kitchen but it wasn't like an elaborate kitchen it had like burnt orange formica it had like a bench seat and a table and a small television i would expect and, nothing else right no. exactly i would expect right? nothing and, else from this and story. that was it right and, and and one of those stoves that was in the wall i mean and that was <laughs> you know it was like walking into your grandmother's kitchen in the but 60s but, it, but, but, but man you're talking shitty coffee cold pizza cigarette hanging out of your mouth type of kitchen Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's just how it was. Right. And you stayed in there from the beginning of your tour till you went to bed. And then you got up first thing in the morning and you went back in there. And guys would be sleeping on the bench seat, you know, and that was right. just, you hung out there. I can't imagine how many creative corrections happened around that kitchen table. Oh, I mean, right. I mean, the kitchen table, right? The Knights of the Rectangle, that's as we right. call it, solving all the problems <laughs> of the world. I love that. Around there. Yeah. The only thing missing are the big chalices that that's you right. all yeah. drink out of just a small coffee cup. But, yeah, I mean, and we were it. I mean, the, the Popeye, strong to the finish, was our motto, and that was our logo. We had Popeye. I mean, no nonsense. we wanted to be there. No fluff. Yep. No pomp and circumstance. No, just... Yeah. Guys just want to be firemen, you right. know, and you just wanted to go to fires. And not that other parts of the city weren't great for fire duty or whatever, but 
you really wanted to be uncomfortable. You got comfortable being uncomfortable. Do, do, you, know? do you remember the first fire you had in, in Warwick? Yeah, I do. It was um, I was assigned to the ambulance. Uh, it was a split-level ranch garage fire that extended up, and uh, we got there right away, and I got on a line and went right in through the front door, knocked down the kitchen, took a right-hand turn, and the garage was just going to town, and I'm right there. And I'm like, yeah, this was it was maybe... A few months after I get on, I'm and that that was about the time you went. Yep, I'm in the right spot. I'm, yeah. I'm doing well. I, I'm doing. Yeah. I'm doing life's work right now. We're, we're doing. Yeah, we're yeah. doing good things here. Yeah, with, definitely. With having been a medic and having that experience previous, now you step in and like because I, I know that's one thing that I've always liked. Where you know where I work with running an ambulance, so when somebody has that experience, it makes that that exchange a little bit easier. Yep. But you guys were also able to jump off the rescue and go right into fire duty. And it was a complete challenge, and I'll tell yeah. you why. Because Warwick in Rhode Island has this. EMT intermediate or a cardiac. They don't have paramedics. Mm. I was the first paramedic hired in the city of Warwick. They didn't know what to do with me. Like, right. They honestly had, I remember like sitting across the street, you know, the table from the chief and he's like, you know, I don't really know, you know. <laughs> and maybe my third tour, I was working on the back of an engine and we had a really bad car accident and we extricated and pulled out a gentleman and he had collapsed both his lungs and, you know, they couldn't ventilate him. And I, decompressed him yep. in the back of the ambulance and no one had ever done that yeah, ever, ever right and yeah, like, right. people were like yeah what just happened right. you know and right. I, I thought I didn't think anything of it is he allowed to do this right. and like, can, right we, can we do this until the next day <laughs> yeah. when I'm up again in the office and they're like yeah. so and I'm like <laughs> yeah. sorry right. you know, save the guy's what, life what, you know yeah. what I mean, so that was kind of what it was like, but sure, you know, and, but, and, and I'm just like I'm I'm looking at it from like that like, so they didn't really have like a medical director and a and a paramedic program. Oh no, God state. no, 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 don't yeah, yeah, no, this is, no, this is yeah. this is like um, yeah. I mean, we just pretty much load and go and do yeah. that thing, and it was you know, and I never changed the world or changed the way we operated, but right. for a couple instances there, it was kind of like oh, yeah. what are we really gonna do here? So. Welcome to the job. Right, there right. There you go. Well, right. You know, so. so so let's let's paint a little bit of a picture yeah. too, because I think it's important for people to to understand. City of Warwick, nine engines, three trucks, a rescue company, which is actually you guys call special hazards yeah, up in New England, hazards, right? Yeah. Um, probably about two hundred guys on the job or yeah. so. Two eighteen, two twenty, depending okay. on who you talk to. Four transporting ambulances, also cross staff three marine units. And um, two battalions that split the city east and west. So two tour commanders. So what I love about that is that is the perfect size city in my brain where there's enough fire duty and responses to go to. And chances are that if it's a significant job and two bells are struck, most of the city gets dumped on the fire. So if you're working that tour and there's a good fire, you're making a fire. You're going. Yeah. You're going to go. And right. what was great about Engine 1 was we call it the hub because it was like the center of everybody else's district. Like Engine 9, Engine 3, Engine 5, Engine 8. All were around us, so the second do work, if you weren't what, first, yeah, you were right. second. Or if you got a good jump, right? First do. You might be able to turn that corner. Uh, Just being on top of your game. Well, or? being on top of the game, but you know, Engine Nine would come out of the retail district, so if it was during the holiday season, they couldn't get through traffic, so we'd beat them there. And you know, some straight shots. Some of our roads were just straight shots, and if yeah. you were quick to the truck and you got out and. Sometimes you didn't walk in like a gentleman like you're supposed to. Sometimes you just, you know, that's just, you know but uh, yeah. yeah. So, so let me let me ask you, the reason why I'm painting that picture is when you have just over 200 guys on the job, um, you have a good amount of guys to select from to maybe emulate or find a mentor or yeah. 
uh, you know, a good boss or a solid, a solid senior guy. Yeah. I know you probably had some incredible influences in your life growing up in the firehouse. Yeah. Um, I'd love to maybe hear one or two of, sure. of an, an influence that kind of put you on the path that, that you chose to follow. Um, early in my career, uh, I had an engine captain. Uh, Joe Greenwell was an engine captain. Um, local neighborhood guy, born and raised in Warwick. Great family man. Marine. Showed up every day. Consistent. Perfect uniform. You know, crisp. no crisp. Oh, yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Like a, like a linens, you know, just <laughs> perfect. Yeah. You know, no gray, black, white, everything by the book. But he would teach you, and he would teach you the right way, and would keep you safe. But he had that regiment that you respected, and he was like that from the day he started till the day he retired. He was worked for my dad, and he was a backstep guy for my dad. My dad was his officer, so I mean, he looked after me sure. because my dad looked after him. But yeah, he right. never wavered his entire career. When he retired as you know shift commander, it was a phenomenal human being to work for. He was a great person, great leader. You respected him on the fire ground. He gave you a command on the fire ground. And, but was, it was the right command, though. It wasn't like right. you work for, I've worked for some chiefs or whatever. They hear you're like, oh, I don't really think that that's the best thing. But no, he was dialed in every time. And some of the other people that worked there, the other lieutenants, Joe Papa was another early in my career. Just loved being on Engine 1 and the mentality of being on a busy engine company. And then my boss that I ended up working for on Engine 1, Tom Jessup, who was in my early career till, you know, later on in the career, was by far one of my biggest mentors in my career. Yeah. He was only a few years older than I was, got on the job when he was 18. Wow. I mean, just loved being a fire. He was a fireman's fireman. He loves everything about the fire service. To this day, he still does. I mean, there's no question about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He taught me a lot. And, you know, and I, you know, we went through a lot together throughout our career, but he really mentored me from day one on just how to be a fireman and how to because people taught him from the job sure and he was one of my dad's recruits so mm -hmm. i mean it was like the, you know really he knew was to, yeah and, i mean and, no, but not just tactics not just you know laying lines and fighting fire but it's all of it right it's how right. to conduct yourself how to carry yourself and and at the same time, to have fun. Yeah. And we always had fun when we worked You together. hit on that before. Right we were on. talking before, yeah. and you mentioned that word a couple times. And to me, it always strikes me It always strikes me that too often we lose track of the fact that this is, it's a lot of fun what we do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what else to do when you're shoveling hydrants than get in a yeah. snowball fight while you're shoveling hydrants yeah, right. with the neighborhood kids? Right. I mean, but that's what we would do. Yeah. That's what Tommy was all about. We would just right. go out there and we would just enjoy the job and enjoy where we worked and enjoy each other and... Just kind of let the days go. And, sure. And, I mean, this is a guy, to, to speak about what a human being is, in addition to being a fire officer, we had a guy on our job who was in kidney failure who was going to die. Tommy was a match and gave him a kidney. Wow. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's, this is the man that right. was. So there's no bullshit here. He that's was... Somebody will tell you, everyone will tell you that he was the great guy to work for and to be a great officer. And I was lucky enough to drive for him and then... In Warwick, you can bid either the driver or the back, and you don't have to move if you don't want to. And I ended up moving to the back of his truck and ended up being his back step man and, uh, from, like, in, like, 2000, 2001. When so we started. Yeah. Yeah. Were, like, so, because I, I, I love his terminology, like, moving to the back and being his back step man. Like, what yeah. were the expectations that he had for you as a, as a, fire, uh, as a fireman on the back step? So, yeah, great question. 
I mean, and this is what translates now into me teaching a lot and yeah. about moving hose. You were it. It was a one-person hose stretch because if you were first do the drivers obviously running the pump, he has to do his size up. So Tommy would be doing his size up and do whatever. It was the expectation that you were getting the line in place without him. Right. Because you, you had to do it. And if you didn't do it, it wasn't getting done. And there were many times where we'd be moving in and he would finally just come up behind me. I'm like, all right, we're good. And I'm like, yeah, we're good. He's like, all right, let's just go. And that was the expectation. And that's, you know, when you work on a, and I don't want to say it's understaffed. I guess it's a bad term. I mean, it's just common staffing, maybe. You're staffing. Yeah. True staffing. You don't yeah, get the choose. You, you, you don't get the choose. So you, you, you do more with less, but but you learn the, how to do it, the job, the way it should yeah. be. The job has yeah. to get done, whether you have one guy or six guys, right? So, right. like, at the end of the day, there's no room for excuse or nonsense or I can't get it done. you got to get it right. done. I mean, would, would I love to have a backup? Of course. Of course. Who wouldn't? I mean, I say it all the time, then. The nozzle man gets all the glory, but a great backup man fucks the prom queen, right? This is the guy, 100%. right, that gets the line 100%. into play, right, and just gets, you know, doesn't get the glory, but you know what? At the end of the day, the prom queen, yeah, you're all you, right? I that mean, might be that might be the quote right. of the whole podcast, yeah. right there. But anyway, that was fantastic. So, but, but you're 100 percent you right. You're 100 percent right. That's what you learn. But to do. man, I mean, that is diving in the trenches, though, right? I mean, that is getting to work and, yeah. and going to work and learning more than one job at the same time, right? And we didn't, and work's not comprised of like five-story walk-ups and right. six-story H buildings. A lot of it's residential. So, I mean, it, we weren't rewriting, you know, fire history. And your neighborhood fire right. companies. So, you're there quick. I mean, you're, yeah. you know, you're pulling up room of contents, two right. rooms off, or maybe yeah. a top floor or something. But, sure. yeah. But, uh, and, you know, it's just how we learned. And, yeah, and it wasn't much to pick from either. Two pre-connects off the truck, one off the rear. That's it. So, yeah. I mean, if the trucks weren't fancy. And, uh. You know, that's what you learn. So if you're on the back, you had everything. And being on the back of that truck was great. I mean, it had a small little, you know, the doghouse was right there. You had the small flip-down seat with the window. You know, so you just, like, sat there. And, you know, it was a great spot to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a good place to learn. And he was a good person to learn by. And, you know, the guy who drove our truck was a phenomenal fireman, too. I mean, so it, it was a great crew. And it was a good place. It sounds like that, that type of job doesn't allow people to hide. Well, Yeah. True. I mean, yeah. there were places to go, but, you know, you had to go. But if you wanted to be on that truck or be there, That's right. you, yeah, yeah. There, the expectation was you wanted to be there because you wanted to work. 100%. And it was a great place 100%. To, learn, to learn the job. Talk to me about, um, I mean, as we progress through your career, I mean, you've had some challenges too. Yeah. As, as much as, uh, you know, we got a little bit of the backstory about your upbringing and then working your way through the busier companies of Warwick and so on. but. Yeah. Um, you know, part of your story, which was made a, a huge impact on you, was February 20th of 2003, yeah. yep. right? The Station Nightclub fire. 100%. Um, you know, I know um, just through my exposure to it, um, what an influential and just pivotal fire it was in the American Fire Service, talking about, uh, you know, sprinkler protection, uh, high occupancy buildings, things like that. And this is a fire that has been studied People have looked into it. Um, through our conversations and our friendship, I've come to know that you were uh, very much involved from the get on that fire. Uh, you happened to be working that night. And, um, you know, I, I'd like to hop into this because I think there's so much just from the conversations we've had um, off camera and through our friendship and so on about some of the stories of that night and, and what you guys dealt with the years following. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're comfortable, I'd love to just uh, roll into that a little bit and talk about your experiences there and sure. and so on. So, 
Yeah. Um, I mean, take it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, set the stage. Like, you know, like, you, you come into work for sure. the night shift. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, before I begin, I just want to say that, yeah. you know, this is my story. Of course. So I can't speak for anybody else yeah. that was there. I mean, there were epic moments of heroism and true fortitude that night that... But it was somebody else's story. But I can just say my story. Sure. You know, and it, of course. You know, it's, the, the people that operated there that evening, beyond the scope of anything else, performed exceptionally well. And, you know, it's been a long time. You know, it's been almost 18 years. Yeah. You know, it's been, you know, a little over that. And I feel that the story needs to be told because the memory of the people that perished that night or injured that night or the people that responded there shouldn't go away. So it shouldn't be something that history forgets it should be something that you know we remember and we go on like any other event that happens and as time goes on you know the people that were there the true historians you know want around to say their stories and having a great you know venue and a great medium such as this to be able to respectfully say the story or whatever is you know by far a great combination of it but uh yeah it was um thursday night it was the first night of our tour, so we did two days, two nights, four days off. So we had done our two-day shifts. We came in for the night shift, start shift at 5 o'clock. Typical night shift. I remember we had ham steaks for dinner because we've never had them again. <laughs> so, yeah, we, yeah. we had yeah, ham yeah, yeah, for yeah, dinner. Yeah. And um, uh, we were sitting down for the night. It was myself, Tommy Jessup on the engine, Mark Lamoury, the driver, and the, uh, the battalion, and the two guys on the ambulance, uh, Eric and Brian. We're on the ambulance. So our, our regular crew, everybody yeah. was in that night, no details or nothing. It was just, it had snowed, it was a cold night. It was a Thursday night. So it gets to be like 10 o'clock. We all hung out in the kitchen after dinner. We watched Thursday night TV. That's what we did. We were watching ER, like you did in 2003 yeah. on Thursday night at 10 o'clock. I remember we were just sitting. I remember sitting on the kitchen counter. That's where I sat most nights was on the kitchen counter. We just sat there and we just watched TV. It was like... Almost 10, 11 o'clock. I said, oh, I'm time for bed. Mark, the driver, he went to bed at like 7.30. It's like, yeah, I'm going to bed. You know, he didn't <laughs> care. You know, he didn't care. Mark was great. But, you know, we slept through everything. We delivered a baby on the front ramp one night. He slept through it. Slept through it. Slept through it. You know, just great. You know. Yeah. So I go to bed, and I remember being in the bunk room. And one of the guys came in and said, something's going on in West Warwick on Queeset Avenue. The station's on fire. And they have a firehouse like a quarter mile from the fire. Right. And I remember sitting up in bed going, the firehouse is on fire? Station. Yeah, right. the station. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it didn't click. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. You know, about the place. So I'm like, all right. So I sat up and I'm getting dressed and I'm just walking out to the truck and then the bell hits and the vocal alarm opened up and you could hear the phone ringing off the hook in the background, just ringing and ringing and ringing and the dispatchers, the other dispatchers just yeah, in yeah. the phone. You could hear something going on so the fire was actually in west warwick and west warwick has an exceptional fire department phenomenal firefighters i mean the only reason we go there is because their staffing is less than ours and we would go there on automatic aid but we would go there for their fires and just assist them we didn't go there to put out their work these guys do more with less than anything i've ever seen in my career right They're phenomenal firefighters so we got the address. We kind of knew where we were going. It was three of our engines, the heavy rescue, and a lot of truck and an ambulance and the rescue. I remember getting dressed. The back step and the bay doors go up, and across the street is the police station. 
and I just see cruiser after cruiser just dumping out of the police station. Wow. Now I'm getting dressed, and I'm like, all right, on? something is going on here. We're going to work. Tommy gets in the truck, and he's like, listen, let's just be careful. We don't know. Okay. So we're going there, and Mark knows exactly where he's going, and we're driving, and I'm in the back, and it's like the old E1 where you had to sit to get your thing. And I was heavier back then, so I'm, like, trying to get the Scott on, like Chris Barley, like, trying to, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, right. like, and I'm getting dressed, yeah. and we're coming up, Queen Avenue, we're coming up the hill, because you went up the hill, then I went over, and then down, and I look out the window, and the sky is orange. Wow. Like, and we're not even there yet, and it's just, and I'm like, what is yeah, going what, on? Yeah. What are we? What are we doing? We start to hear radio chatter. Engine got in before us. We start to, you know, heavy fire. This, so we're like, okay. We come down the bottom of the hill, and now I'm turning around and I'm looking, and one of the West Orlick engines was laying feeders in the street, and I remember them trying to get them out of the way because more trucks were going in, and we pulled up, stopped short of everything, and Tommy told Mark, "We got to find a hydrant." Now Mark. Was kind of like a savant when it came to water supply. He knew where every hydrant in the city of Warwick is for some reason. You, you pick a street, yep, hydrant's in front of the blue house on the corner. Right. You pull up, right. hydrant. He's from West Warwick, so he's like, yeah, I know where I'm going. Just get out of my truck. And then he took off to go get his own water supply. Wow. So we left Tom and I in the street. So I, I remember I got out of the truck, and I started to walk in with Tom, I took literally took three steps off the engine, and two people with no clothes on their body, with their skin hanging off them, fell on top of me. Like they saw me and they grabbed me. And now I'm holding these two people, and I had no idea what was going on still. Wow. Like, I don't know. And Tom's just looking at me, and he's like, help them. I'm like, okay. And I remember just grabbing them, and I saw an ambulance down the block that had arrived before us. And I brought them, and I opened the back door, and there were already three people in there with one guy in the back. And I just handed him over. I said, yeah. yeah. And he was like, I'm like, I don't know what else is going on. You know, no idea. I thought they were the worst of the worst. Yeah. You know, because we just, just got Just, just got there. Yeah. And I shut the door to the truck, and I turned, and I look, and now we're right in front of the place, and it's going. I mean, you, we, we talk fully involved, and it never is. It was. Yeah. It was a small... You know, one-story wood frame with big atrium windows that were already blown out. Fire was already blowing out, and fire was through the roof already. There was people everywhere, obviously, and it was chaos. So we're trying to establish what's going on. One of the officers on the ambulance had the forethought of establishing the triage right away. He commandeered a restaurant across the street as the triage place. The Cuisinier, the owner, Jimmy, his cousin Gino was a good friend of mine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know how Rhode Island is. Right. You know, everybody yeah, knows yeah. each other. Sure. But this place was the refuge, and it ended up being one of the most pivotal moves that you don't know about. Was they established this medical sector, for lack of better terms, right off the bat? Yeah. And he ran that whole section, and he did an amazing job. So that started off there, and then I regrouped with Tom. And we're like, we've got to get a game plan of what's going on here. We knew there were people still trapped. Fire alarm was getting calls from people inside, like trapped in bathrooms. Like they were, you know, we were getting calls. So we knew we would still have viable people. So we're working. Jay, I just want to hop in. The only reason I say that is because 
I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to your story right now that aren't familiar with the Station Nightclub Fire, and they're okay. going to do their own homework after the sure. podcast. Yeah, yeah. We should say this. 100 people were, were killed in yes. the fire, and over 230 injured. Okay. So the reason why I just wanted to get that in here as we're starting to talk about the arrival is you had two people approach you. I can only imagine the walking wounded on top of Correct. all the people that were stuck within the nightclub. Yes. Okay. So there were so many people still yeah. outside. Right, And right. You know, the initial response was coming. So, I mean, it was overwhelming to say okay. the least. Yeah, so please, so go, go ahead. I'm I didn't... trying to, but you don't think about it then. I mean, right. you had like this narrow scope of thinking back afterwards, how many faces did I miss that I didn't see walking in or walking out? You but know, I have whatever. to think too, on arrival, I mean, you still don't know the situation. You would right. think a fire to progress to that magnitude, yeah. a lot of people would be able to get out. Right. Right? You would like, think. You, sure. you still don't have the mindset. And... Right. That much fire that quickly. Right. We didn't know how it started. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was like the gas main had burst. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things like something. It was that much fire load in a short period of time. Do you think there was a part of your brain that night? Because I know like like that just saw the amount of fire and you were like, like, like and then you hear this, like you, you, you see this, what was in front of you, but then you're getting this report that people are trapped in the bathroom. Yeah. And you're getting phone calls and you're like, right. how? I, you would think, yeah, I mean, but just, you know, mission above self, right? So, yeah. I mean, I ain't thinking about it. Just like, what yeah. are we doing here to right. work here? And, you know, the driver of the truck had gone up a side street and got up and grabbed his own hydrant and came down the hill on what would be the the D uh, the, um, the Bravo side or the number two side mm-hmm. of it and set up the truck there. And there was trucks already in the parking lot operating. Most of was there to try to set up ladder trucks, you know, they're moving. So we're pulling lines off of it, and what a lot of people don't realize is that there was so much fire coming out of the building and so much radiant heat, all the cars in the parking lot were on fire. Oh, wow. So in order to get to the building, we had to start yeah. and work our way, and that's what Tom and I were doing. We were putting out car fires to get to the door, just to be able to get there. Oh so yeah. you know, we're trying to, to knock this down, and we're, we're moving and moving and moving. And we finally get to it, and the building, you know, obviously the atrium windows have all blown out, and there's fire in the roof, but there's one small section of a vestibule, which was the main entrance and egress, and people were trapped in there, and they were trapped. They were on top of each other, and they were just together in this one area, but it was the only area of the building that hadn't collapsed or burned through yet. So it had sides to it and a top of a small roof, so we couldn't dismantle it. Because that's all there was, right. but we had to protect it. And this was the main entrance, right? This was the so main this entrance. is what everybody that went to go that night to the club. Right. It's the only way they knew the how to get out. They knew. Yeah, the only way they knew. So we're working, and epic moments of heroism for these. We're working inside there. The guys from Westworld, a phenomenal job. The Warwick guys were just all working and working, and we're there, and we're trying to keep water flowing, and we're trying to work just to get people out and but there was so much fire and so much heat that it was a challenge but we're working and there were people there that were very squared away so if you want to think like an a-team was working that night there was an a-team the officer on the hazards was on the fema team he had been to the um atlanta olympic bombing he helped he was a rigger at the worcester fire he'd been to 9-11 in the, mm-hmm. 
Not that maybe any of those skills resonated that night, but the fortitude. No, but it speaks to you. Know, you know, but yeah, he right. just, that's the guy sure. you want because he's, of course, he's laser focused. So he's working and, you know, the guys on the engines, you know, everybody's doing everything they can. Yeah. I mean, against overwhelming odds. And Incident Command is doing a great job of getting resources in there. Everybody's starting to show up now. So, you know, we're working. And, like, I tell this story, part of the story, like, one of the things that, the guy Brian that was on the ambulance and he's driving to the scene there he calls fire alarm and some call the hospital that's in the city call him and tell him to hold over the shift you know give him the heads up that they might not want to let their staff go right because this is big and it was a huge move yeah who thinks of that he right. did right right, right. Who, phenomenal you know it, 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 it helped tremendously you know so they were doing their aspect of you know getting the people out and you know we're working and you know, there was just a ton of fire. We're working our way to the door. We're getting there, and now we're working. And it was like you had seconds. You, we finally freed somebody, and it was like savable or not. Right. Savable went over the railing to an ambulance, not went in another direction. And that went on for a very long time. And just the pain and the struggles and the, everything that could go along with it was just there but you just worked you worked you put it aside and you just worked I mean you, you had you had people funneling into a, a single door to get out yeah you're talking bodies on top of bodies on top of bodies yeah essentially yes yeah and in a narrow area that was just there and a narrow area that's also trying to burn right and still yeah still right. In the burn. right so we ended up one of the guys just it, it, it sounds simple but we were putting a ladder belt on people and using the railing as like a two to one with a rope wow. to get the people out because it was that tight that's how we ended up getting people out was actually physically putting something on them because we couldn't get in there and get in there we couldn't get behind them we couldn't get around them yeah but it was like that and they were you know people were alive people weren't people were I don't, I don't know if I can ask this question because it's something, but like, so in that, those people that were essentially stacked in that doorway that you were working yep. to free, they, there were, there were some who were still alive and there were some who were still We alive saved people that night. 100% we did. The people that were operating that night, there were people that are alive that were there. Okay. Absolutely. It was, it was a rescue mission. Yeah. Above anything else, it was a rescue mission. Right. So we're still working, you know, we're, we're getting in. And I remember we, we had taken somebody out and we had taken a turn and the overhang or the vestibule collapsed on us, knocked us to the ground. It just came down on top of us. And I believe there was a very brief conversation between the incident commander and us about maybe we need to stop here. This isn't, you know, and it was pretty much, it wasn't well received yeah. by the men. Yeah. Right. So right or wrong, we continued. You know, so I mean, a few bumps and bruises later, we just still continue. So we're working through this, and, and we're going, and we're working, and we had been there a while, and we're getting there. And at this one point, we had removed someone, and after we had taken him out, a gentleman who was inside there stood up and stood right up looked right at me and a couple other guys face to face and walked away 
like he had found a pocket of air. Wow. He literally, when the weight came off of him, stood up, looked at me like I'm looking at you, and just walked away into the night. I don't know who he was. I don't know where he was, where, whatever happened to him, even know his name. And I carried that for a long time, and you know, because it's an unbelievable story. And yeah. then the book came out about the fire, and that was mentioned in the book. And I'm like, okay, somebody so we, else knows the story other than me. But right, you didn't, I mean, you didn't like it, no, was I, like a it wasn't. It, that no, this actually it, happened, it, right? like, and, and, and the, the picture I was painting, right, is because I mean, I've seen, I've seen the videos of this fire. I mean, I remember when it happened, yeah. and then. You know, before our interview today, I mean, I obviously went back to, to educate myself yeah. and to watch. A lot of people were killed through suffocation and, and being trampled upon trying to get out of the building, yeah. right? There was such rapid fire growth in the spread of uh, toxic smoke from the soundproofing and, right. and all of that without getting, you know, too involved. Yeah. But it progressed so very fast. Very quickly. So you, you had a stampede and it was funneling through a small vestibule that you were working now working in yeah. so somebody that's in the pile yeah had brush. just didn't get crushed and, and had just, the ability to find a pocket of air and survived that's incredible and just but walked away like it, like didn't even phase him like just stunned or whatever or whatever no conversations were had it was like and it was eerie but it was real and this you carry that to today. I yeah, and you know, very few people know about it. And, what is and, what is that signal? Like, does that trigger? Does that trigger anything in you? Like, just that? Does that kind of? Uh, what put, do you think of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what I think of? I yeah. did my job, and I didn't get any gratitude for it because the guy just literally got up and walked away. Got it. And was like, okay, you succeeded here. Thank you. But you, you but nothing, and just went away. I never knew who he was, and never expected anything. But does yeah. that does that help you though in understanding that the cards were so stacked against you guys yeah. that the fact that you were doing what you were doing and removing whether victims were alive or have expired, and then all of a sudden this gentleman pops up. Does that, in some way, for you say we did our job? Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And even all the other people that you know survived, you know whether or not we helped them or not. Still, there were people that lived. Unbelievable. And, you know, we performed well. Yeah. You know, it, I don't consider it a loss. You know, it was a loss of life, and it's heartbreaking. It's unbelievable. But I think we performed to the best of our abilities. Yeah. And I do think I, I carry a lot of, you know, did I fail at some point of this? Did, did we fail? Did we do something wrong or whatever? You carry that for a while. Of course you do. Anytime someone dies in a fire, you, you, you think about that. And, I carried that for a while, and it buried down deep for a little bit. And there were little moments like that where I think, okay, we're doing something right here. Yeah. So, you know, we were able to get them finish that aspect of it, and we didn't really have any idea of how many there were. We knew there were a lot that had perished, but we didn't really know because you know we the building eventually collapsed. Correct. I mean, it, it burned did, through the it, roof. It burned and, through eventually, that but right. that one section of the vestibule still stayed remaining the next day, but the rest of it was ash. So, so a lot of the recovery was done after the fact. Yeah. So before that, yeah, yeah, yeah please. It, it, you know, looking back, you know, engine one was parked on the hill and it had was freezing cold that night. There were snow banks everywhere. And I remember Mark saying he was working the pump on engine one. It was on the hill, but the ice had 
built up under the engine. And, sure. Uh, and Mark's saying, you know, he's at the pump panel next, you know, the pump panel slide down the road. Oh, he's like, uh-oh, yeah, it moved right. down a little bit. <laughs> and eventually it ended up working its way down the road and dragged the supply line with it. It just built it up and it just, oh, you know, the yeah. fighters just went down the road. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, firefighting do? in the Northeast. Oh, well, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. You know, it's just, you know, wheel track lifted up with the truck. I mean, it just went, the ice yeah. built up so much. But the snowbanks, uh, the snowbanks, I think, saved a lot of people. People came out. Talk about that. People just would come out, and we were finding them in the snowbanks. Yeah. And we end up, you know, who does a secondary search in snowbanks? We had to go up and down the road looking and just looking for people that it would just dove into the snow With to stop, you know. To burns, they needed relief. Everything. I mean, it was and just, it just yeah. it, it, it was there. And, you know, just going up and down and trying to find this. And then now it's a local community. Now people are starting to arrive looking for loved ones and everything and now it's getting chaos and now people are self-dispatching and showing up and we're getting more and more people yeah. there that right. I don't even know who's who or right. you know we know our people but because it was just so overwhelming they needed so many EMS support that you know everybody just started to show up in the a, state a big part of the story too um, through our conversations and some notes that you you sent me was this was very much a, a community uh, event, meaning most of the people that were there were from this small community, very well known. So a lot of the victims were friends or family of first responders yep. and families and friends yep. and, and all of that. I mean, that Absolutely. just adds to the, the small town tra you know, tragedy of right. all of this, right? Yep. West Warwick is a blue-collar town right. with people of great values, hard-working people. Right. That, you know, and they are a very proud community. It's a very proud town, you know, and Warwick is right next to it, and everybody knows each other, and, and it, it was, you know, a hardship for that most of these people were local. And, you know, we're looking in the parking lot for union stickers on the yeah, cars. I mean, that's where I'm looking around. We're looking around, seeing if, Think about you know, that, right, right? seeing if there's a, a car we recognize, you know, we're, we don't know who's before social media, really. Sure. I mean, we don't know who's, you know, saying they're where or, or what. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're trying to figure out you know, what's going on. And Wow. Think about that. Wow. Like, right. unbelievable. Like, who do we know is here? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, wow. who helped Jeez. out before we got there that just not saying a word, you know, right. whatever. And. So we're just still looking, and, you know, we get through, and it got to be about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and they pulled us out and put us to rehab, and they put us across the street in the restaurant and let us sit for a few minutes. Which was the triage. Which is the triage. We're still actively going. So you're not getting away from this? No, like but they kind of just put us until yeah. you guys got to take a break now or whatever. And we fought it. We of did. Course. Of course we did, because that's what we did. We yeah. fought it. So we took a break. And uh, we were there, and now the sun's coming up a little bit. So now they're starting to bring in relief companies. So it got to be about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and they sent us back to the firehouse in another engine. Another engine showed up. We hopped in their truck. Their crew stayed. So now we get back. Of course, we're not doing anything but watch the news. Yeah. You know, so reminded, like, the only thing you had was local news. We didn't have any media other than that. And now we're seeing... Like the footage of it because they had it and everything and we're like now it's sinking in what's going on and guys are coming into work and guys are calling the phone's ringing off the hook in the firehouse and you know we can't decompress at all so it's the night of it, that was my first night 
I had overtime that day, the day in between my nights. I'd already been hired for overtime. And I'd been hired somewhere else in the city. And the person who was supposed to relieve me had just gotten the job of me about a year ago, two years on the job. He was one of my recruits. I taught his recruit class. I did every recruit class from the day I got nice. on to whatever. Yeah. I liked, you know. And I knew he lived in West Warwick. And he was a West Warwick fireman before I got on. And I don't know what triggered it. I wasn't thinking of it at the time, you know, but I knew it would be the worst thing for this kid to be on engine one for the day. So I said, can you send him somewhere else? I'll stay here for the day. And the BC was like, ah, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm like, I'm like, don't put the kid here. I'll stay. And I didn't have a lot of years on either. Don't get me wrong. I only had six years on. But So I worked on engine one the next day. So it got to be about 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. So we're only away for a couple hours. They sent us back. So we had to do recovery. Was it the best move? Probably not. But that's so what you, they told. You're working overtime now. During the day Not tour. with your guys. So you're no, your guys from that guys. night. Right. I'm the, the only guy before. that stayed. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm the only guy that stayed. So you're getting, now you're being called back. Yeah, I stayed there. I could have gone somewhere else. I got, no, I, I got yeah, I I to right. stay. So now we're getting called back there. And I remember I was on a reserve truck. Old Engine 10 was a, remember those old Boston Fords mm-hmm. with the open cab back, mm-hmm. the workhorses? Yeah, like, you absolutely. You kill these trucks. Right. Phenomenal. Forty eight thousands or something yes, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. I remember sitting in the back, open cab, and I remember sitting that in That long bench seat. Yes, yep. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. I remember sitting in the back of the truck, in tr- you know, because we weren't responding, we were just going the full mm-hmm. truck. I remember sitting there, bawling my eyes out in the back of the open cab truck, like in traffic, like watching people look at me, and I'm like... Like I, I'm trying to process everything. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know. And I, had, you know, I had my moment, my first of several moments. I had my moment. And we get there, and we go back there again. And now we're doing recovery. Now we're sifting and looking and and just doing more recovery. Now inside where everyone you know had been before. And it was grueling. It was. The media had arrived. It was overwhelming with that. There were other dignitaries and other chiefs and the fire marshal's office and everybody that was supposed to be there was there. But we're working, and it's like in silence, and we're just doing the unthinkable of what needed to be done, you know, for these poor people sure. to, to find some peace and comfort sure, for their families. Sure, of course. But we're doing our job. So we're working and working. And, you know, it's funny because my dad retired before I got on the job in 95, so I never got a chance to work with him on the job. He had been doing some instructing and teaching for the State Academy forever and was doing some work in the fire marshal's office. So being my father, he went to his closet and found everything official he could possibly find <laughs> and wore it and got into the scene. Right. So he's there because this is what he wanted to do. I he get wanted it. to help. He mm-hmm. wanted to. He was retired, but he wanted to do it. So I'm there and I'm sifting and working and he's standing next to me. Shows up. And I'm there, and I'm, I'm doing my thing, and he's there. And I turned to him, and I said, you're not supposed to be here. What are you doing? You're not supposed to be here. And he looked at me, not like a father looks at their son, but a chief looking at a kid with six years on the job. Right. Like, shut up. Yeah. And just go to work. And But that look, you know, mm-hmm. like I've seen that look before from it. him. I get it. But never at work. But it was like, okay. Yep. And he just 
wanted to do what he felt was right to help. And he did, and he stayed there. And we worked for a while, and we worked, and we worked, and the other crew started to come in. So we were there for most of the day. We finally left about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and got back, and now we're ready to start our night tour again. So they didn't put us off duty for the following night. We, we reported to work, and they didn't hire for us. They didn't send us home. They didn't do anything. Now, your your engine company from the night and before the ambulance is coming back yeah, in. Yeah. Meanwhile, you haven't been home yet. You, you haven't, haven't been home you, yet. You haven't yeah. been able to get away and from I, it. I can't remember if the two guys on the rescue and the ambulance had gone home or not. Right. Or not. They, they did I an amazing you. job. The yeah. two of them are phenomenal human beings, and they did an amazing job. The stuff that they went through was, and I won't speak for what they had, but they sure. were amazing. But we had to come back. And you want to talk about the brotherhood, and you want to talk about the traditions of the fire service. And the memory that I remember is we came in to work for that night tour, and there was a retired lieutenant from Engine 1 and another off-duty guy making dinner. They came in. This guy came from home, grabbed another guy, and were making our dinner for us just because they felt it was the right thing to do. And it was 100% the right thing to do. Right. To this day, I yeah. carried the memory of them just cooking the meal for us so we could just come into work and just figure out what we're going to do for the night. Yeah. And what better simple act of brotherhood yeah, 100%, and traditions yeah. of that was amazing. And, you know, that night, it was just. What was the? Let me let me ask you just a little bit personal. Yeah. Um, you you weren't able to get out of there. You worked no. all day. Right. Doing the unthinkable. So not only did you were you a part of the actual life saving aspect of it and fire suppression of it. Yep. You then were part of the recovery. Yep. Now it's four or five o'clock. Your your night crew is coming back in. Your state your normal engine crew and normal. ambulance crew. Yeah. And they walk in the door, and you're still there. What was what was that? Was it? Were there words spoken? Was it tough? What I mean, yeah. obviously tough. But I mean, were there words spoken, or was there, as a company or your company officer, was there a powwow and say, you know, like I'm just yeah. curious because I think you know, six years in, this is one of the most tragic fires in American in the American fire service. And to, to, within a 24-hour period, to be able to rationalize any of it is impossible. Yeah. Right? It was like that. So there was really a couple of conversations I remember. A lot of people were on edge. Yeah. There were some, you know, elevated voices at Maybe times. Maybe didn't know how to handle it too, right? They did like, not handle it. Yeah, so they were, right. Emotions were everywhere. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there were definitely things that were said that shouldn't have been said. And definitely, you know, we're all kind of processed in our own way. Yeah, right. To be expected. Right. But I, I believe it was an uneventful night tour. I mean, it wasn't other than, you know, just try to process and do everything, you know. And my daughter had been born eight weeks before my first child, Amanda. Oh, wow. Had been born eight weeks before. And I remember my wife at the time had come and brought her on the second night. And then and I remember sitting in the bunk room holding Amanda, my eight-week-old, and just bawling my eyes out. Just yeah. Losing sure. every possible emotion, just holding that child, you know, knowing full well yeah. that there was nothing, you know, that we went through that, you know, could make up for the loss of life. But just trying to find one moment of actual, you know, close to home comfort, you know, with my child. And then we kind of went through the night and worked it, 
And then, I mean, and that's when things started to fall apart. You know, critical incident stress was around. It wasn't a new concept. It, it had been there. I mean, it was post 9-11, you know, so it was post everything. So, I mean, there were resources available in the state or whatever, but for some reason, it didn't happen. And they sent us home. Right. I can remember leaving the firehouse that morning, went to a little coffee shop in our neighborhood that guys from our group always went to after work on a night tour, would have a coffee and breakfast and just sit together for 10 or 15 minutes. It was like the highlight of our day. Right. You know, we come and get together. Right. Guys from the other side of the city, we'd say, oh, you guys slept all night, you didn't do shit, we were up all night. <laughs> kind, of, kind of one of those yeah, things, right. you, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, for the sure. back and forth, yeah. you know. And I remember just sitting there and just dazed and confused and other guys would just pile in and we just all sat there for a couple hours. And we just wow. sat there. And we're like, what's going on here? And, you know, is everybody all right? And we'll just... And then nothing happened. No phone calls to the city, nothing, nothing. And finally, you know, the five of us just called each other. We need to get together. And we went to Eric's house and we stayed there. It's like the weekend. And we didn't leave each other. Did you guys did you guys hide from each other at all in the beginning? Like uh, did you hide your emotions? Like I can't really let it all hang out in front of these oh, guys. Oh, you know, you know okay. we were well past that. Okay. We had already okay. seen the raw. Okay. We, okay. we needed each other. We yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's we looked out for each other in that first weekend. So you all recognized, man. We're all we struggling here. Needed, like this is yes. Okay. We needed to help each other, right. and we did. We came together, and we just needed that togetherness of sure. what we had been through to experience that and stay together, and we did it. And we didn't leave each other for the entire, almost the whole four days off. You know, we had our moments where we were together. And it was probably the best thing ever. And I'll never forget, you know, those guys in that sure. weekend. And it wasn't like we were, you know, overly intoxicated either. It wasn't like burying it that way in those days. It was too new. It was just kind of like if we were hearing things that happened and things that were coming out about whatever had been done, we wanted to be there together right. and, and do it together because yeah. it was chaos up until that. I mean, I can remember, you know, national media being in our firehouse in our kitchen, you know, and I, I can remember like the local news people, like we're walking into the kitchen and somebody yeah. go, shh, 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 stop, stop, stop talking. I'm like, yeah, you're it's in my, our kitchen. My house. You're in our, you're, you're telling me house. to stop yeah. talking and I'm like, yeah, fuck you, yeah. you know, and then you're looking all, you know, all this is going on and all the, the big leagues getting interviewed and all that. I'm like, this is well beyond the men and it should never have gone to that level, it should have been about the men. Hundred anyway, percent. That's I was just going to say. That. Gonna, don't, don't make you think that I'm just that saying the, about the men and not the focus. The focus the was elsewhere yeah. and not on, on the company. The, on, on company. So we came back to work after our fourth day. Nothing. We came back to work. So whatever day it was, Monday, Tuesday, we're back to work again. Not relieved of duty. Back to work. So we're there, and like. Eight o'clock in the morning, we get a phone call. We get a you know phone alarm for a medical call for a child that's been burned. Wow. So we pull up to the scene of this house, and this a young child had had hot water poured on his leg by accident. Would have been a normal routine call, right? It, you know, the kid was in pain. It was a legitimate thing. But I remember being in the living room, looking at this injured child with the burn, and I'm like staring off into nowhere and all the other guys are like the same thing like what wow. is happening here right. but because we've just gone through all this sure. and now this and finally 
things reset and we were able to focus on the mission and, and, and you know, take care of the child. And I never really thought about it at all until a few years later when I had moved to South Kingston, Narragansett area, and I'm bringing my kid to school. I'm doing the parent pickup, and a woman comes up to me and says, are you a Warwick fireman? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, you helped my uh, kid once. My kid, I said, oh, I said, I'm sorry, you don't look familiar. I right, said, right. you know, and he goes, oh, no, you'll remember. It's a few days after the nightclub fly, he had burned his leg, and I'm like, just comes rushing back. And I'm like, oh. And this woman looked at us like, yeah, you could have done better. That was the look she was giving me. Was like, because she knew that we didn't, you know. And all I said was, I'm sorry, we weren't supposed to be there. Yeah. We should have never been at work. Yeah. I'm glad he's okay, and I'm sorry, but we shouldn't have been there. Right. And we did the best we could. She wasn't believing it, but wow. she made it a point to pick me out. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is where we're at. And this was three years later. Maybe, so, yeah, oh you know, like yeah. so. It, it, it's yeah. amazing the small circles that that happen there. Small town, small yeah. I mean, but, yes. you know, small state. You know, yeah. you know everybody. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. What did that do to you when you when you left pickup or drop off that day? I mean, three years later, right? You're still dealing with still demons dealing. of it. You're still dealing yeah. with, you know, the the probably the the memories, the dreams, the the flashbacks yeah. of it, right? Yeah. What I mean, I have to think because in a in the upbringing you had, it's all about service, service to your community, oh. and, and being a f- the best firefighter you could be, yep. right? Being the best fireman, paramedic at the time, that had to be very hard to hear. Yeah, I, I guarantee you, I don't remember exactly, but I guarantee you, I probably went to the bar that night, met a couple of guys, and just you know drank. You know, I, I'm sure that's probably what happened. You know, just trying to process it and. You know, after that call that happened that day, you know, we finally got back to the firehouse, and at like 11 o'clock that day, they pulled us off the line and did the debriefing. So this was like four and a half days later. They finally brought in a team of people, and we went through the debriefing, and we went through it, you know. And after that, our work day continued, and we just kind of went on like, okay, we're back to work again. Yeah. where we probably should have been monitored better and we probably should have received more or had that assistance available to us more. And eventually it came down the road and did, but it didn't when it should have. And I remember guys on the executive board and on the union like fighting with the admin, like, we failed here. Fix this. I remember that. Yeah. You know, the guys sticking up for the guys, you know, yeah. doing the right thing. And it just fell on the wayside because I think it was just so overwhelming to the admin a little bit. I'm not, you know, trying to answer for them, but, I mean, they had a lot going on and a lot of attention was focused immediately. Yeah. You know? And, you know, it was it was so much with my family. And, you know, that next day when my dad was there, you know, talking about the media, mm-hmm. my brother was working for a Fox news station in Boston. My brother, I don't know how he lived in our house and didn't become a fireman I have no idea how that happened. It's it, like it's I, right when it's anomaly, whatever. Right, but he was there. Like I remember walking across the street and seeing him, and I walked over to him just to see if he needed something to eat because we had gotten some food the next day, and it was the biggest mistake I ever made because I walked over to him and everybody surrounded me. 
from the media and were starting to ask me questions, and I just wanted to have 30 yeah, seconds just needed with my brother. Some time. Yeah. Say, but how uncanny would he be there? Dad was there, and I was there. Yeah. You know, when I was just trying to have 10 seconds to sure. see if he needed a sandwich, you know, when I end up, I gotta get out of here, you know, and, and left. And it was, but that's what it was like afterwards with media and everything, and, you know, weeks after that, it just didn't go away. Yeah. We weren't expecting it to, you know. It mentioned, you know, a month later, People Magazine comes out, and I flip over to page two, it was a picture of me, you know, working at the fire, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, it just, so, it just didn't go. Couldn't escape it. You couldn't escape it. Right. There was no way to, but you had to process it, and we didn't process it well. I didn't process it well. I did not process this event very well at all. We came from a generation where we didn't talk about a lot of things. The people that were in the job before me would never talk about stuff. And we were talking about guys that I worked with that were in the Vietnam era that came on the tail end of their career when I'm coming on. These guys were very stoic. They did their job. They just went home and they did it. And they didn't talk about anything. You know, and that's kind of the way we were brought into the fire service and the way it was. It wasn't necessarily wrong, but it wasn't right. Yeah. And now you have this event, and how do you process it? Well, you process it by, you know, being with each other, but being in a bar room with each other. And but you also just, can't be with everybody twenty four hours a day yeah. either. Right. Exactly. Right. So yeah. you all of a sudden you're finding yourself alone. I'm sure at times. Yep. Alone, taking in, care of the kids. Battle, just, yeah. You know, and you have these little fleeting moments. Like a few weeks later, I pulled out my fire gloves for a call. And it was loaded with human hair. And the smell of burnt hair, like on my fire gloves. And you, you get that, just that smell. And you're like, how did I miss this? Yeah. Why is this here? Right. And, you know, and then it just, you get the trigger, and it's like the fluttering again. And you get to start to think about it. And you know, you're trying to process it, and everybody's trying to process it for you at the same time. And everybody's dealing with different elements of it. And some guys are perfectly fine. It never bothered them one day. You know, other guys, it defined them for a long time, like myself. And it really resonated. And how do we fix it? You know, you're fractured, but you wait too long to get a cast put on it. Right. So it never really heals. heals. Yeah. Right. So if we had fixed the fracture sooner, right. maybe the long-term detriment wouldn't be so bad. You, know? you, made, you made a comment that you let it define you. Yeah, I mean, it did. I mean, it was, it did define me. It was a defining moment in my career, but for a long time it defined me. And it took a very long time for it not to be a defi- to define me and, and just be a point. And, and you're, you know, just hearing your story, and, and that's why it was so important to really get your backstory leading up to all of this. Is This isn't who you are, right? This fire, right. It, it defined you at the time, but you, you did learn that, Man, I've, I've done more before and I'm doing a lot more after, right? Yeah, there was... absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I had been to fires before and kept going to fires after. And, you know, I, I'd done training classes and was able to teach and, you know, was starting to find my flow in the job and, yeah. you know, and just getting in and being in the enjoy. Who doesn't love being in that five to ten year range of your career? It's right. the best time of your career. Yeah. You're still learning, but you're getting a little bit underneath you. You're getting some experience and... You know, and you're starting to feel yourself around. Yeah. And then I reached that point, and then I went into a spiral for a few years. That's right. 
you know, just because it just happened to be there. It just happened to be my night at work, you know, C group. And so, and so part of that discussion, I mean, it just, you happen to be there. Um, three years later, how do we dig out? How does, how does Jay Urban yep. navigate this? Because so, you didn't get what you needed in the immediate. You had yeah. the brotherhood of your company yep. to get you through a lot of the downs, but there had to be some more downs on your person, your personal yep. life and on the fire scene that probably Correct. played out from everything that you had to deal with. I mean, on top of the fact that this call, this alarm didn't end when they terminated the alarm because you had all the court cases, all the... Right, all the, everything that, that went everything's on. Everything's a flashback. Right. Everything, everything that went on. Everything that went on. Everything Newspaper articles coming. There's no, there was no escape. Yeah. Almost, believe it or not, thank God there was no social media at the time. Yeah. yeah. Thank God, because it would have just, yeah. you know, it would have, you couldn't have escaped it, you know. Then. So how does Jason Irvin start digging yeah. out from this? Right, so we went through, you know, I stayed tight with our crew for a long time. We stayed tight, we worked, you know, well together, and, but, you know, as time progressed, I felt that, you know, People drift apart, and in '05, you know, we started, we broke apart. So the two guys on the rescue of the ambulance went to another engine. Tommy went over to the hazards. Mark went somewhere else, and I stayed for a little bit, and then I ended up going somewhere else. But we, we just broke apart. We just, maybe it didn't run this course. We did so good with each other, you know, and so well, and then... Over time, I think that you know every relationship has its like sure. a roller coaster. So I sure. think we were just at a point where maybe space would help us in the long run. In retrospect, but did, I think we needed a change of pace. I mean, did you find it difficult when everybody left and you found yourself still there? Yeah, because I didn't like the boss that came in. Okay. No, no, I mean fair I enough. Like but I'll say it all the time: nice guy, horrible fireman. Right. You know. But so, outside I mean, just, of outside like of that, did you find yeah. yourself feeling alone? Like shit, my guys just. Uh, my guys no, I didn't. No, I didn't really okay. feel like I was alone because I didn't feel they left because of me. But no, I just no, right. felt, yeah, like okay, maybe I need to land somewhere else. Got it. So I went to engine nine, oh five oh six, and um, worked with a great lieutenant. Yeah, they've been on the job since he got on the job when he was like eighteen in the seventies. His father was on the job. He worked with my dad. Phenomenal human being, a great fireman, good place to land, you know, and he was a good guy. So, and a good fireman, and there was another guy driving, so I was on the back of Engine 9. And I liked Engine 9 because that's where my dad was a lieutenant and a captain when I was growing up, and that's nice. where I would ride my bike to when I was a kid. Sure. We'd go to Station 9, they would go off on a run, and I would steal all the ice cream out of the freezer and not pay for it. You know, nice. one of those things. Like yeah, a kid. Right, right. I would go up there and cut the grass on a Saturday, they'd give me like six bucks, you know, and. You know, whatever, just that was the firehouse. Sure. I went there, and it was a good place to land. So I was there, and, you know, we're kind of just doing our thing. And one of the things that we always did was on a day tours when we worked in Giant, we had the mall there in our district, in the the retail district. And we would go every afternoon on a day shift because there was a Dunkin' Donuts in the mall. We'd go get coffee, and we'd walk around the mall like old people, you know. Just walk around, because then you could, before the public got outraged about the firemen. The Engine you know, 9 mall walkers. I got Thank it. you. Yes, yeah. should have been a patch. Should have been. Yeah, right. Should have been, honestly. Should have had those white New Balances. Bring your Nikes. Yeah. Right, yeah, the New Balances. So, my friend John Pella, who was driving the ladder, he was there that night. Too. He was the only other guy in that crew that was actually there. You know, that oh, my clock was there to his boss, but he was... John was there with me, and John and I are super tight. He's my best friend in the world, and you know, we, 
you know, John Pell of the Ladder Fellow, we call him, because he's been on the ladder his That's entire fantastic. career. Yeah, I love that. It's like a kid's book. Right. <laughs> it, is, it should be, because it's like a cartoon character. It should be, you know? Maybe, maybe we'll, so, I'll make a demo yeah. that. We might <laughs> exactly. have to do that, you know? Roll that out. So, we, we go on the wall, and we're walking around the mall, and we're leaving at the exit of the food court. And on the top of the state house in Rhode Island is the Independence Man. It's a statue. Mm-hmm. It's like this gold statue of a gentleman, like, holding a spear or a flag. And what it looks like is, is that guy on the front lawn of the fire with, a hook. with his gear, with a, yeah. with a face piece still on, right. with, like, the 12-foot hook yeah, right, right, for the right. one-story ranch, That's like, right. thinking he's going right. to go pull the ceilings from across the street. You yeah. know, like, one of those. So the statue is there. So there's a... <laughs> There's a smaller one in the parking lot of the mall. Like, right as you walk out of the food court, it's like right there, you know? So we come walking out, and the maintenance guy is there, and he's got his ladder set up, and he's cleaning the statue. And as we walk out, the five of us walk out the doors, like, do like reservoir dogs. Yeah, you know, right, we kind of right. just walk line, out, yeah, yeah, like all in a line. Yeah. He's there. And he's cleaning the undercarriage of the statue with a rag, like scrubbing underneath. (laughs) And he's doing this, and we're all standing there with our coffees. And he turns and he looks at us with this look, like, and we're all like, like, it was Great. like it, it was like, and, he's, and he turns back and he keeps doing it. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. If I could, like Groundhog Day, if I could relive that moment you every would. day of the rest yeah. of my life, I would. Yeah. And that moment right there reset me because I'm like, I'm at work. I just had a moment of unbelievable joy of watching this poor guy clean the undercarriage of the statue. Right? It's amazing. And all of us broke out in laughter and that's what reset my clock. That's what I said, you know what? We're here. It's okay to have fun again. It's okay to have fun again. Yep. It's okay to laugh, yep. even at the expense of this poor guy. Probably that's quit. Fantastic. Probably quit. That's you know? all right. Builds you know? character. That's, that's hilarious. That that's great. moment, and we still, I could call John today, and we talk about we it. Start, and we start, start laughing. Just laughing, because it was just that moment. And it reset. And I went back to Engine 1, built a new firehouse across the street. So we got rid of the old one into right. the new one, and nobody liked it. It was big. Big horseshoe. Everybody had their own it's not room. The shithole. It wasn't, but it was time. Obviously, right. it wasn't you know susceptible for living. Just the truck bays were too small. Nothing would fit in it. But we went to the new firehouse in 07, and it was there on the back of Engine One. And then I got took the test for lieutenant and got made in 09. Yep. Went from the back of Engine One on the same shift to the front. So I had the spot that Tommy had. Nice. From up there. And, uh, yeah. That had to be quite an experience, huh? Talk about, like, the circle of... Circle. Yeah, right? Yeah, and then Tommy ended up being the captain on Engine 1. So he ended up coming in back as the captain, as lieutenant, so we're working. And things are going well. Yeah. Do you like being a boss? I did. Because you strike me as a backstep guy. I am a backstep guy. I learned a lot of life lessons as a boss. I ruined a lot of crews. I went through a bad divorce and took it out on people that probably didn't deserve it. And I had my moments. Sure. I did. But I think as I got older and as I look back and reflect and learn from that and yep. learn from some lessons of it. But I, as much as I like being the first in the door, I really like watching the and, company officers and, and doing that. And that really came to fruition when I went to the hazards and had to be that individual that was yeah. you know, called upon to do the things that needed to be done. And that's where I really learned. And I learned it from the people I worked with. Was it? I mean, I know you talked about a few of your mentors. Um, You worked with some great people that really helped shape you, not just as a firefighter, but as a person. Yeah. Right? Um, Now you're kind of in a mentorship type seat where 
Yeah. You know, you're looking to that backstep fireman to tutor them, to teach them, to uh, help educate yep. and, and, and boost their career. What yep. Was that a big transition for you? Was it hard to understand that all of a sudden you've now transitioned from the mentor yeah. E to the mentor er? It was, and I didn't handle it well in the beginning. You know, and because we didn't really have a leadership school, it was kind of like you're blessed in your It's like most places, so yeah. So congratulations, congratulations to you, right? Keys thrown at me, right? Exactly. Right along the same time, I got promoted. um, I ended up, we got involved in the FEMA AFG grant program. So we started writing grants, and we started getting a lot of success. Like at the end, was probably ten million dollars of federal funds to the city of war, from an aerial truck to a training building, new radio system, SCBAs. Nice. We we did a lot. We had a safer grant. We hired seventeen people. Colby, who, mm-hmm. who ended up got hired in a safe grant. Nice. You know, so it. But that aspect of it of being upstairs in the admin and working with the assistant chief, who was the chief department at Armstrong, who was by far next to my dad, my biggest mentor of my career, was at Armstrong, because he taught me another side of the game, other than the line officer. He taught me how to work with the public and work with the admin and work with the political side of things and how being able to work with them would help me in the floor right? because I was able to speak differently and control things better because I knew that, you know, I had to talk differently and, you know, and he taught me sure. a lot about how to be an officer by working on the admin side and that helped me out a lot down the road to sure. this day and he was an amazing human being, a great fire officer, a great chief of department, and he changed the job for us and made it better. And I was glad that I could learn from him because yeah. I learned a ton of stuff. And he had a great sense, dry sense of humor, you know, and he was like one of those guys, like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, digress a little bit like John, you know, was on the e-board. Right. And there was one point where he went up there because the fire inspectors, they took away their cars for some reason, you know, they said they can't take their cars home. So he went up to, I'm just gonna, you know, the guys want their cars back. Chief's like, where does it say anywhere in the city charter that they get a take-home car? John looks around and says, what does it say you can have one? Yeah, car? right. There it is. <laughs> and I remember yeah, John Stanley, right? Chief Armstrong turned around and was looking out the window because he was laughing so hard. He <laughs> turned around and said, yeah. the men can have their cars yeah, back. Right. You know, but that's like, right. you know, that's, that's his job. You know, yeah. and that's like one of the wind column for the men. But that's yeah. what he was like. He was very fair. I love that. And he just, yeah, he was was good and so you know I had a young crew and my backstep guy Tim great fireman and um, there's we're like 2010 and uh, we're having a good time and you know things are going well and it's Saturday afternoon like February 2010 February a horrible month in the city of- <laughs> I was going to say another February month. yeah February Saturday afternoon right after lunch the vocal opens up for smoke coming from a house on Buttonwoods Avenue. Should be our first do. Engine three got a jump for some reason. Don't know why, still to this day, don't know how. But we came up the, the street and it comes and then you take a left-hand turn in this Buttonwoods Avenue and the house is right, right there and engine three comes up the straight shot the other way. So we're just about to make the turn and engine three calls on scene. You know, engine three's on scene, heavy smoke showing. So. But we were, like, right there with him. So I told my driver, 
because in Warwick, third dude gets the water supply. Okay. Not second dude, because we're all on top of each other. We want the second dude to help get the first line. Yeah, you only got three guys. Right, the second dude to get the first line in. Right, yep, so it it didn't. So I said, which worked out great, pull on the side street, like right Mm -hmm. over here, get out of the way. Worked out great. I get out of the truck, and you have that moment, right? where I'm walking up to the scene and I'm doing my size up as I'm walking up and looking at the house. Sure. And the windows are black and the smoke is just not a lot, but it's there. And I'm like, you ever have that moment where you're like, you think back to your textbook, whatever? Yeah. It's, it's going to backdraft. Yeah. Like the windows are smoky and it's the, and the smoke's an odd color and it's there. And I'm walking around the front of the building, engine three is coming up, and like they're gonna force the front door. And I keep thinking to myself, something's not right here. Yeah. So we grabbed a line and we're going to the driveway to get to the seaside. And thankfully, someone had escaped the fire and left the back door open. And I think it depressurized okay. the house because they forced the front door. And in hindsight, if that back door was still closed, I think it would have blown. I legitimately think it would have. Because I had that look. I'm looking. I'm like, oh, it's not quite right. Didn't feel right. No. Yeah. So we go in. We go in and we will admit with fire. First line went to the rear or? Yes. Because there were reports of people still in the building. Okay. So no ladder truck on scene yet. They said to me, start stretching. We're going to try and go for the grab. Okay. And we'll protect them from the stairs. But, you know, we went in. I get it. Like, right or wrong, I've always been opposite of the way the first truck goes if they're going in the front i want to go around the back at least send one of my guys around the back to get a better view of what's going on because it's forward progress this way but i don't want to be behind them Mm -hmm. i want to get another way to get them to help them or find something else out so i've always been opposite of the way the first one goes i did that on the the hazards so i made the call to come around and it worked out perfect because we get hit with fire right there so we were able to knock down a good amount of fire, but we didn't know it was coming from the floor above, and it burned through the floor. Oh, it was okay. coming down. Yeah. Hot. Hot, hot. Like, really hot for mm-hmm. first floor fire. It was, like, coming down from above. A ton of heat. Couldn't see a thing. We find the stairwell, and just as coming, engine three's coming down with a victim. Like, okay. We help get the victim out. We leapfrog back over them, and... We came up the stairs, and we found another one. And Timmy and I brought that one out. Then we went right back in again. I went to the left, and Tim went to the right. And then we met up immediately. He had a baby, six weeks old, found him in the crib, handed him to me. And I'm like, okay. Come barrel-assing down the stairs, rip off my mask, and I have that moment where you don't know what's going on but you do but like that moment where you're coming across the lawn and you have the infant and you're doing mouth to mouth and holding the infant moving across the lawn trying to find the ambulance like trying to lock eyes is it cliche is it like a fire cliche of that thing of like the guy holding the baby trying to find help but i was in that moment and Mm -hmm. i'm just trying to breathe life and find the ambulance crew because i saw the the ambulance, yeah, yeah, but I couldn't yeah. find the guys. Right. Found them, passed off the child. And now Timmy's standing there next to me. And just like me at the nightclub fire where my daughter was only eight weeks old, he had just had a oh newborn. Yeah. So he's got the same look that I had. Right. And I looked right at him and I said, 
we'll deal with this later. We've got a job to do. And he's like, okay. And we went back to work. We went right back in and we found two more people. Oh my gosh. So we found two more. So now we're still working. So now we had found maybe four of the five working with other people. We weren't alone. By then, more help. Sure. This wasn't a single engine effort. Right. Don't get me wrong. No, I got it. I got it. Sure. Well involved. But we were involved in this. So we were working. Eventually, the fire went out, and everybody got transported to the hospital, and nobody was saved. We found out a while afterwards that it had burned in for most of the night. It, it you know, carbon monoxide had set in. It was smoky. It was hot. You know, we thought that they were savable, and it finds out that they weren't. So I remember being the latter stages of the fire, and the room needed to be overhauled. By then, the equivalent of a third alarm was there. Right? The room needed to be overhauled. I'm like, all right, we're going in. We'll do it. And the chief of the department's like, no, you're not going in to do it. And I'm like, fuck you. We're going in. We're first due. It's our fire. We're going in over. He goes, you don't understand what I'm saying. You're done. Somebody else is here. They'll do it. To, like, scan with a camera and knock down a you know, wall. It was nothing. And he said that, and I looked across the street, and my father was standing there. And he's like, just doing this. And I'm like, okay, right? And I learned the lessons that day of being a leader that you won't learn in a book because I learned to put your mission above yourself in the beginning of it. And be a company officer and direct your people to finish what you need to be done. But then a few minutes later to know your role and not as a company line officer and take an order and know that it's for the best and realize afterwards, yeah, he was right. We didn't need to be in there. There were people there. Sure. We needed to be out of it. Sure. I didn't see it, but I needed that redirect. And that, to me, was leadership in one day. Be a good company officer and take care of your men and take care of the mission, but at the same time, know your role, I guess, yeah. at the time. Yeah. And no book. I've ever seen. How, how did the department do for you after that? I mean, this is years later. Yep. This is your so, second incredibly significant fire that impacts yeah. you, not just your career, but you as a human being. Yeah, it was, I mean, unfortunately, me and a few other individuals have been at the two most, you know, loss of life fires in the area. Right. So it wasn't a good time for me at the time. I, my wife at the time had just asked for a divorce like a week earlier. Oh my gosh. Like, typical fireman. Mm -hmm. I'm on my way into work. I get a phone call. We're all done. I'm like, what? I'm all waiting for a night tour, right? So it was like that week. So we get back to the firehouse, and I'm a mess. And you're the boss. And I'm the boss. We get back, and I remember getting back at shift change, and somebody coming in shift change asking some stupid question about something, and I just lost my shit, you know, because it was just so raw. Pulled into the office. And they're like, what's going on? And like, you know, we're just trying to deal with this. They didn't let us leave. They put us right upstairs in the command center, and they brought in the team, the debriefing team, and they wouldn't let us leave. And we stayed there, and we hashed it out, and we talked about it, and we got the help that night before we left. They did it right. Yeah. They succeeded. Years, a lesson learned. I'm a huge proponent of this critical incident stress. Yeah. I don't have the ability, I think, to be part of that team, to help with that, 
like I don't it's not ingrained in me to be that person that can talk people through that right. but I'm a huge component I'm a proponent of it sure. like I've lived through it I support it I will always do it and they did it right so I'm glad that for that buyer it was done the way it should and everybody you know seemed to do better because we don't really talk about that fire too much because everybody seems to be okay with it because they were able to express their feelings that night and be able to get it out and be able to get the help immediately and then the follow-up was there afterwards for that and the support was there support at work and that's yeah. where i needed it the most yeah you know and it's followed me throughout the career and there's been other times that i've had the, the counseling and the debriefings and we, we've had you know other instances even on when i was on the hazards sure of course you know, we had you know one instance we had a car fire on the highway and poor child burned to death in its car seat you know we couldn't do anything right nobody could do anything right and it wouldn't have been an issue except that the medical examiner when they showed up the poor guy who had to come couldn't get the child out of the vehicle right someone had to go in there and do it being the officer on the heavy on the heavy rescue it was my job sure you can't have all the glory of being on the heavy rescue you know the glory of being the officer and not be expected to do the job that needs to be done right so I had to do it and it was just one of those things my night at work you know and it but once again right after that you know the chief was like what do you want to do do you want to go home for the night I'm like no you need to call in the team we need to talk about this and we did and my battalion that night good was for a you wonderful human being and he did it and we did it and I, it worked out well I say good for you Jay because um you recognize the importance of what that does for you as a person. Yeah. And to be a to be the boss and to be the boss of special hazards, which in every other country every other state other than Rhode Island and Massachusetts <laughs> the heavy rescue. rescue. But yeah. that that's yeah. a coveted position in most fire departments, sure. right? I mean So so you're looking at the cream of the crop typically is in your rescue special hazard companies yeah. and to be the boss of that crew. Right. You know, what's funny is that night, my regular guys weren't there. Yeah. They were all details. So I didn't have, you know, you, you kind of lean on your people. I get people. it, I get it, yeah. You lean yeah. on your people. Yeah. But when your people aren't there, you kind of get through the night. And, you know, it was a big transition for me to go from the engine sure. to the heavy rescue. My dad wouldn't talk to me for like six weeks because <laughs> I left the engine company. Wouldn't talk to me at all. It was like furious why I would want to be a fireman's helper and not actually be on a hose line. He was like beside himself. That's amazing. Angry. He's like, That's why amazing. would you leave the engine? Why would you go over there? Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad but, you brought your father up again yeah. because I'm, I'm sitting here listening to your stories today and I'm, I'm thinking about two of the most pivotal fires in your career yeah. that shaped you as a person and as a firefighter. Yeah. And at both turns, when you were looking for something, you turned and your father's there for you. Yeah. He was there. Right? Yeah. He's over your shoulder at the Station Knife Club fire. He's across the street. He's across the street yeah, from the from the fatal fire. He had the scanner on in his house every day I worked. He didn't miss a thing. He just that was his thing. You know, he but wanted to I, I yeah. think of it I think of it as like your I don't, I don't want to say like guardian angel or something, but just really involved in understanding one, I mean of course he wants to be there, it's where the action is. He right. grew up that way. But two, it always seems like he had the right thing to say or the right look for you in a time when you needed it. 100%. Because it wasn't so much father and son as it was chief 
and not chief, chief of fire. Yeah. And yeah. That's how he carried himself, you know, and he commanded respect as a chief because he was well respected and knew his job and he taught the fire academy for decades and, you know, everybody knew him. But being his kid, you know, you fell in line because he was chief. Yeah. You know, when he just, and I, in 2016, I'd already been at the hazards. You know, he had a host of health issues, and I got a phone call at like 5:30 in the morning that he had, they were taking him in for chest pain. Engine one and rescue were taking him in for chest pain, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, we shift change at 7 a.m. and I will gladly, you know, head up to the hospital shift change because they're just taking him for chest pain. Half hour later. I get a call from my brother in hysterics. My father coded oh at the hospital. So now I'm leaving work. I'm rushing up there. Well, he, he survived that event and was in the ICU for a while. And then he became alert and was talking. So, you know, for a few weeks we were up, you know, was up and down. It was up and down here and there. You know, guys from the job, everybody's coming to visit him, with, you know, in there. And I had been working my side job as a medic in New London before I got in New London I was working as a medic for the hospital and I was working a shift that day but I went to see him before I went to work so because he was just sitting upright in the hospital room he was speaking again thing was good you know I said oh, I'm going to work today I'm working in there he said okay be careful said, okay no problem I went to work four hours later they called me back he had a massive stroke and passed away so the last thing he ever said to me was be careful yeah you know, because he knew he was going to work. Yeah. He was just looking out for me. And what's eerie and how everything comes full circle, the day he stood beside me at the nightclub fire to work and we were working in there was February 21st, the day after the nightclub. He died on February 21st. Oh. So the, the day that he chose that day out of his own to, like, bring comfort to, like, families and he didn't need to be here, mm-hmm. that same day, a few years later, yeah. he passed away. So... I can't explain it other than it's just, you know, he just wanted to be him. And he just, that was who he was. And now I try to carry myself when I teach to take a lot of the elements that I saw with him because he, I was fortunate enough to learn from him. Hell yeah. And how can you not want to pass this on? You can't go through this career, you get one shot. Yep. If you don't pass something on to anybody else that wants to learn, there are people that don't want to learn. There are people that aren't teachable. I understand that. But if there's somebody that wants to learn something, you're doing a disservice if somebody took the time to teach you, you know, how to do it. And yeah. That's, I'll, t- I'll tell you, you know, I, uh, I just talking with you today and hearing your story, I feel like I know a lot about him. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate you sharing so much about him. And I'm, I can guarantee you every time you're going out the door, he's with you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, honestly. I mean, he was there in the physical. He's there now, right. too. You, and, know? you know, and as much as he hated me being on the hazards, when we, we got, when I got to there, excuse me, when I got there, we, they didn't offer me any training. Like, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we don't have any money. We can't teach you how to be a rope tech, hazmat tech, all this other stuff. Even but, though you're responsible no, they, they, for it. Right, but they, not, they don't have anything. Right. So we're doing all these grants. You know, we're doing all the grants and everything. And my driver at the time, Scott, was also my grant partner. We worked together. So we're on the truck together, and we had success with other things. So we're in the office one day, and I'm having a conversation with him. I'm like, we have all these windmills and these turbines in the city that they're building. Somebody's got to know how to get them out. 
if they're in trouble. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I said, I want to write a grant for a tech rescue team. Like, I want to get all the disciplines that we need and have the government pay for it because the government is building these things right. and they should be responsible to train us. Sure. He's like, it's not going to fucking work. We can't do this. I'm like, we can't. I said, because they're not going to, the city's not going to pay to train me. The government will. He's like, okay. So we sat down and we hit for $1.1 million. We formed a 36-person technical rescue team. Outstanding. Seven different disciplines, all the equipment, everything. Yep. Nuts to butts, the whole entire thing. And we did it. So instead of just me getting the training for myself, we formed this team. It's amazing. That is going to last for forever. You. Because I, I like to think we did it right because we sat down with the admin of the union and said, we're not going to overload this team with guys with 20-plus years on the job because they want to get the training and walk out the door. We want to stagger it mm-hmm. and get guys with three, four, five years on the yeah, job. Yeah, absolutely. So that it will carry on long-term. And right. they and they agreed to it. I don't know. We caught them on a good day, and they agreed to it. Awesome. So that was the culmination of everything. That's got to be a proud moment for you too. It huh? was. I mean, it was it's good. Just a, we yeah, we had great. What a, you know, what a what a what a good move. Yeah. Because I I've dealt with a lot of you know, and I've met a lot of like easy city managers. Yeah. And that's like that. What a what a great way to to, to sell them on it because. That's that's perfect. That's right. I mean, and we just much respect for yeah, and it, it worked out well. So we were able to get the training, and yeah. we had a great run. You know, the hazards is probably the highlight. One of the highlights of my career was being on the rescue. Yeah. Fire after fire, we had a great run. You know, for a while, it was good. We learned a lot. We worked with great people who taught me a lot. We had a lot of fun there, and then it was time to retire. And then, uh, so retirement, yeah. twenty-one years in Warwick. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. I do want to hit on one story before sure. we transition into yeah. teaching and then, you know, and yeah. so on. But, um, and you mentioned it a couple of times, you said pass it on, pass it on. You yeah. mentioned that a couple of times now. I'm thinking of the, the grant you were able to write, co-write, and, and, and execute, you passed it on. Right? Yeah. You left it for the next guys, right? You, yep. you, you formed it, you built a foundation, and you let them build to it. You talked about passing on your father, passing on his legacy, traditions, his his love for you, and and and, and what you do. Um, the number one twenty eight, the significance yeah. of it. Yeah, talk about that. That's passing I mean, it on. That's passing it on. I Please mean, having, you know, somebody that came on when you know Colby came on the job, and for him to, to keep that number in the family. I mean. It's everything. It's on my license plate. I mean, it's on my life. I mean, it's 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 part of that family tradition, and everybody has that badge number, and they carry it with them wherever they go. And what a great, you know, thing to have. It just sounds so minuscule to a lot of people outside of the job. They wouldn't really understand it. But, you know, that's who we was, and that was it. And well, we explain it, and because they, we yeah. talked about it before we, we sat down. So yeah. your father's badge yeah. number. So, yeah, right, so, badge, so when my dad got hired in 1967, he was the 128th fireman hired right. in the city of Warwick. Right. Jay, talk to me about the number 128 in the city of Warwick. Right before oh, I came up. Um, my dad was the 128th fireman hired wah, wah. in the city of Warwick when they went from Uh-oh. full-time. Did we go too long? So that was his badge number. And he carried that number, and 
like any other job or role models or any badge members. You're <laughs> you, are you, uh, yeah, you comfortable? I'm good, yeah, no, no, I'm good, yeah, I'm good. Did we miss It's who you are. I don't so, think so if you look at my He retired in 95. Yeah, that's why I was thumbing through. I retired in 97. Yeah, as long as you're comfortable with, you know, what we were talking about. Yeah, there's any tags and you sign the role call number. And they had held it up, covered it up. I think, no, I think you needed to cover it the way you felt comfortable covering it. Okay. Was it was a not great honor for me to have it sure. from the I, time that I started. So sugar I, I, we need to get into a little more detail. Believe I mean, me, I really no. think there's much more of that. Worried about none of us when I left. For some reason, maybe I shouldn't have, but I worried about it. You know, I, was, you know, the number has been in my family. I think for me, I was concerned um, about it, and then I, I didn't know how that part of it was. A couple months after I retired, from I thought it was very good. And the guy in the yeah, because here's the thing: we was. My backstep like, man for like one, a year. I, I, he, I told some of the guys that were there. My backstep man got promoted. He was a floater. He came in and assigned me for a while. Interviewing and he was a phenomenal fireman. And he learned. He listened. He taught. One of the great runs out there because of fires. The and he did phenomenal. Like everybody right. He's a great friend of mine now. And he's a wonderful family man and a human being. And he said, I changed my role call. He showed me a screenshot of the notification that came out. That he took the that's what people thought. So I know now that he's going to have that for his career. And, and it's okay. And Things are good. Us, for me, yeah, we'll love it. You know, yeah. We've been great. And such yeah. a, it's a great, and was that a great fireman. He, he did such a great job of the truck. You know, a great run of fires. For us to get that special hazard to the SH, I also say it stands for Steve You put down the hose line. Right, we're going to take it. Yeah, and there were a couple of so opportunities that, where we that, did that. That aspect of the story and how you told it and not be told that. any other way. I think the other thing yeah. 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 Like, And then a few weeks later, yeah, it happened again. And about, we were ready to make the push. And he turned and looked at me like, we're going to get in trouble again. And I'm like, let's go. And we, you know, went in, you know, and did it because it was just the opportunity was there. So that's how he was. You know, he just was kind of like, are you sure we're going to do this with a big smile on his face? Yeah, right, right, right. He pulled his mask down and we're going, you know. But I just want to make sure that you just the Every reason why third, like the third yeah, just that that bad is in mine as well, yeah. and I want to make sure that it has nothing to do with me. And I, I want to make sure that's, that's, that's right. 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 And I think the foundational blocks I talk about it all the time. It's you know the walls there. That's why father put his brick in. You put yours in now. He put factual stuff like a hundred dead. Because a lot of people that are going to listen, that's got to that's got to really resonate with you. If you're not in the northeast and you're not a codes guy, you're not a building guy or a fire inspector. It all about falls into place. And you said it right in the beginning. It. You know, it's like it's great. And what uh, you, you know, it's you a good legacy to have. It was a good ride. I want to make sure I met somebody job. Yeah, I'm glad to stay relevant today and still working and teaching. Yeah, so let's talk about teaching, right? I mean, you you just uh, you can't stay away. So talk about. Uh, I know uh, Vector Rescue. Well, you listened. Yeah, right? I was the for a company out of Danbury, Connecticut. Vector Rescue. It was good, right? Specialized in rescue. So. I really do, Jay. I think specialized. I think it was. I think it was beginning. The right amount of everything you know, too. Nice. So um, we just that one specialty only, which is great. You, good people. You had the floor. Solid so career fireman what you from the western end of the state. Good. I don't. Um, I don't think we. I have think they to, hired me because I, I kept taking their classes, and eventually they just got you know said, "Oh, he's not going away. Okay, he's not going away. All right, let him in. I'm been teaching for the Rhode Island Fire Academy for a while in the tech rescue division. Jay, talk to me about the number one twenty-eight and the significance um, you know, extrication. My dad was when the Michigan Academy comes through. We do their tech rescue and we put them on rope and we do their extrication. So that's all just that small niche cool. of that. And nice. um, yeah, out there now with uh, Bobby Eckert. Yeah, and, uh, Eckert Fire Tactics. Work at Eckert Fire Tactics, which is uh, 
the best way to describe it, I think it's like the 1986 Mets. <laughs> you know, it's like this. That's fantastic. It's like this. That is awesome. It's like this group of talented misfits that yeah. came together yeah. and doing very well. Oh, my God. You know, That's am I right there? I mean, I feel yeah, like, like is... I'm the older guy, so I'm like Keith Hernandez, like, without the cocaine. Like, <laughs> but, like, I'm like that old guy at first base that's, like, kind of keeping it together. And, that's like, amazing. You know, yeah. it's like, you yeah. know, Bobby's, like, you know. That's uh, Talk to me about it because, yeah. I mean, I – Bobby's a friend, and we've gotten yeah. to know, you know, I mean, we kind of started around the same time together. You yeah. Know? He was on the podcast three and a half years ago, uh, yeah. you know, one of our first yeah. guests, and uh, we've developed a friendship outside of that, and that's how I got to meet you, yeah. and a lot of other incredible people in the business, and and so for me, um, he's left an impact on me, Yeah. yeah. Um, me and, and I, I know getting to know him through our friendships and working together, I've gotten to know you and the yeah. rest of the crew. Yeah. And you're right, man. Cast the characters. But Gifted. what what do yeah. they bring to the table? I mean, they bring incredible experience. Yeah. Their pedigrees are top shelf. Yep. They're all hard-hitting firemen. That's how I describe them. Hard-hitting firemen. Yeah. yeah. Right? And for you, I mean, you you said you're the older first baseman of, yeah. the, of the crew. Right. What does that do for you, though? I mean, you got these guys got to like fire you up every time you get to one of the events, or they do. I mean, you look around at the at the group of people that we have that work, and you know, and they're just not all big city firemen, right? They're people that work in medium and smaller jobs, but with excellent backgrounds, and it's kind of like putting the ball team together. Mm -hmm. You know, you have utility guys that are phenomenal. You have your superstars, and everything comes together, and. We just mesh very well, and everybody's got their own thing that they bring to the table. And the best part about it is, you know, the filtering process that Bobby put in place is that nobody has an ego. Yeah. And that's what it is. There's no personal agenda for anyone. And right. I think that's what makes us do well, because if you walk in the door with me, you won't last. So he kind of filters that out before he brings his people in, and everybody we have works well as a team. And yeah. Everybody has that little niche of specialty. I mean, I, I tend to do a lot of the live fire stuff and engine ops and hose stretching. And, you know, we have other guys that specialize in the roof stuff and other guys that, sure. you know, forcible entry. Phenomenal people that teach forcible entry. And, you know, Bobby just puts it together and he has this mad scientist mentality sometimes where he has these ideas, but they work. And he puts them together. And I like stretching hose and teaching people how to stretch hand lines especially when they have one or two people to do it because sure. that's, that's all what you've done yeah and yeah. there's no fire still burning in the city of warwick right now right fires go out so we've done our job so we can stretch a line with with reduced staffing or you know normal staffing and that's what i'd like to teach and not everything is clear cut across a parking lot you have obstacles and that's sure. why our stretching your obstacles program is phenomenal because we build real life into it and how you're going to size up and do your stretch and it doesn't matter to me if you pull a pre-connect or you do a flat load off the back and you have to however you do it it's fine we're going to teach you that you know to make it better and we're not going to you know tell you something you don't already know we're going to make you better and we're going to make you think and we're going to help you to grow and stuff that you can bring back yeah I'm not going to teach you how to throw it on your shoulder if you already know how to do it, but I'm going to help you navigate and move that. And that's why we teach, like, the backup guys, 
the person to operate and how, and that's what the program teaches. It's getting that line into place because anybody can just take the nozzle and run, but it's everything else that goes in and gets it in there. And I think that's what he emphasizes a lot with his engine classes is, you know, taking that little extra and build the props and set up the scenario so when you pull up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you have four automobiles in front of it and you have to go in and you have clutter. Right. You can navigate it. Yeah, it it's real world. Lessons. And real you world have scenarios. actual fire coming at you too at the right. same time. Yeah. So, and, you know, even the forcible entry stuff and everything goes. So I, I really think that he's got a good niche and I'm glad to be part of it. And we're growing and, sure. you know, it's good to be, you know, you know, from the beginning stages yeah, of, of course. it, and just to see it develop, and it's great to meet people, and it's great to go around. You know, we've done some stuff in the Philly area and Jersey area, and it's great. Nobody can understand what I'm saying. You know, I have that weirdo accent. Uh, that nobody can figure out what I'm talking I about. I studied a little yeah. bit before <laughs> today, just yes. so I could, yeah. you know, right. narrow yeah. in on what you're oh, saying. Perfect. I'm, yeah, I'm there. Yeah, I did my homework good. though. I did your homework. <laughs> but I, I will say this, yeah. right, Jay? Like, I, I just think that, um, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are inspiring, excitable, um, dialed in. They want to be a part of something bigger than they are. Yeah. Um, that's what this seems to be. And I think for you, with all your years in, I mean, 21 years in Warwick, you got tired and, and felt like getting on the job again. So now you're a fireman in another yeah. city in Connecticut, yep. right? New London. New London. Um, which, like we said earlier in the podcast, that, that still has the new car smell. You know, yeah, it's it does, uh, pretty yeah. new for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you sound like you're still that 20-year-old, 24-year-old kid that yeah. is in love with the job. My body will tell you otherwise. Yes. But, you know, mind and body don't quite equate. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, and it's like, it's the teaching aspect of it that keeps me going. Love that. It's to be able to, you know, communicate what I've learned and, and have the media or the forum to do it, like teaching for Eckert or teaching yeah. for the Academy, and to just pass along things that, you know, anybody else had taught me and like all my mentors had taught me throughout and I carry it to this day and you know we've said it before you know my dad always told me he said don't waste a lot of time learning the tricks of the trade learn the trade and that's what I'm trying to do is teach people how to learn the trade and not necessarily learn how to work around it but actually learn it Know, because in any other trade skill, whether plumber, or carpenter, or electrician, you have to learn the trade. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. You've got to learn how to do it. And I'm happy to teach at all. And I learn when I come to, I mean, I sneak around at Eckerd a lot and I listen to some of these other guys. I'm like, shit, why can't I know that? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. I'll never say it to them. Oh, man, I'm learning. I always find the you best know? instructors are the best students. Yeah, I mean, you know, they want to learn, and and once you once you become an instructor or you get to share your passion, love, and desire for the job, if you're not willing to still be a student, you're you're missing. Like you're not there for the right reasons, and you're yeah. just not dialed in the way you should be. And so, yeah. for that, I mean, that that just makes absolute sense to me. You have to, you mm -hmm. have to be a student of the profession, and you have to be willing to learn, and you you, you have to because you not only are you going to stay relevant. But you have to be willing that you don't know everything, and you have there are things that you need to learn. Yeah. And yeah, every day. I mean, going to New London, for example, we have a tiller. I've never been on one in my career. <laughs> 20, 25, it would never see, you know, but I gotta learn how to do it. 
was horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like in the beginning, I was terrified. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Like, I'm going down the road and like these poor kids are waving on the side of the road to me and I can't take the hands off the wheel to wave back to them because I'm too afraid to let go. <laughs> I feel like they're That's go funny. Place, you know? yeah. But man, you know, what an experience, you know, so you're learning. Always like, learning. Oh, you're learning like sweating. Like, I'm like going down the road, like, please That's don't hit great. a car, please don't hit a car. That's know? fantastic. But I yeah, love that. it's just, uh, you're willing to learn and, you know, it's, and at the same time, staying grounded with the whole mental health and realizing that, you know, not talking about something isn't the solution. Burying yourself in vices aren't necessarily the solution. Right. Talking to the right individuals and relying on the people around you and helping them when they need it and listening to them when you maybe think you don't need it, but you do. It's that brother and sisterhood is what drives us. And if you don't pay attention to that or help with that, you're not going to make it in this job. Because you're gonna, there's going to be a day where it's going to be... That's, that's it. The person's worst day is going to be your worst day. Yeah. You're going to yeah. meet because they're always having it. They're having that bad day, but it may be resonate with you that it's your worst day too. And you're doing everything you can to help them. But afterwards, you need to make sure that someone's taking care of you. And the, and the big part of that is you got to put in to be able to take out. Yeah. you got to invest and put yourself into this brotherhood and be a part of it yeah. so that that day when you need it, it's yeah. there for you. It's there. Yeah. And, it's to be, and it's to be receptive to it and to know that the people above you are going to look out for you right. now. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. Yeah. I wish it was better back then. Sure. I wish I didn't have to go through what I did. But... And then I also wish that I didn't experience a better care. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I didn't have to yeah. go through it again, but to see that it was better. But I guess knowing that it has progressed and getting there and getting there, yeah. I, I feel better about it now. And, you know, there are times when we still rely upon it, but you have to know when someone's struggling and find the help for them. And then, you know, try to work whatever avenue you can yeah. and then realize too that you might be that person right and then because mental health is a big part of this profession it is as much as any other thing as much as the cancer prevention stuff which is 100 percent valid in there yep and i'm a big proponent of that and keeping the traditions alive of being safe at the same time but the mental health aspect of it you need to take care of yourself and the people around you because when you start to bring it home, it affects your family life. And then, and the worst thing you can do at times at home is be bottled up at home because that's not good either, right. you know? And not a lot of people have a good support network at home. Right. So find that avenue, you know, and it, and it resonates any, to any part of the profession, career, volunteer, whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, the resources are there. That's right. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, if you were on shift that night or you came in from home. I mean, it doesn't, see any lines here I mean it's it's all the same you know when it comes to this and it's kind of like what I like about teaching for Bobby is that we get such a collective element across the board of career and volunteer sure we get young cadets and kids that are there that want to learn and they come and they're hoping to move on to different things to be part of that from the beginning or maybe just a small little niche and thing is phenomenal yeah you know, because they want to be there. Yep. You know, and just to see these young kids and 
you know, to be able to get a little motivation behind them and, you know, be a little animated as I can be when I instruct. Well, it's I good will to be able to. I will say this, brother. I've seen it firsthand. Um, you and I've been in a few burn rooms. I, I'm capturing you in there, and so on. So um, I really do enjoy your friendship and your stories today. Thank you. I, do um, well. I can't thank you enough for really just being able to open up today and share some yeah. really impactful things that you have dealt with in yeah. your fire service career and in life. And uh, for that, I am forever grateful. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, you know, I had done some, you know, talked to a few guys before I did this. And, you know, the resounding message that they said to me was the story needs to be told because the people that died that day or injured need not to be forgotten. Right. And as time goes on, it's just the natural tendency for things to get forgotten. And there were people on our job that were affected by people that perished. There were people on our job who built the memorial. Right. There were guys who built the memorial in our city to the Warwick victims that died. Guys on our job built, helped build that memorial. And it's across the street from the new headquarters in the parking lot of the old firehouse. So that's how things come full circle again. Right. And it's a tradition in Warwick that whatever recruit class comes on, they have to take care of that memorial until wow. the next class comes on. So that's incredible. That's great. Keep it going. Yeah. And these people are not forgotten in our area, and we need to keep it going. We need to make sure that you know people are taken care of that were there, and you know their memories aren't lost over time. And that's what it's all about, right? It's remembering our past, yeah. and it's making it current and today, and and making it a part of our culture. And. Um, Bravo, man. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you I truly guys. appreciate you joining appreciate us today. Thank you. Um, it's been an excellent episode, and uh, I truly thank you for taking your time today to join us at Ragtop. You're very welcome. Uh, I do want to say this. I, I, I was going to open with this. I'm going to close with this. All right. Jason Urban. It's very simple. You can just sit there and listen. <laughs> yeah. It's very simple. This is just as we go out here towards the end of the podcast, I just this is what he sent me. Uh, we always ask our guests for a bio, you know, or, or just some bullet points to hit on. I love traditional firefighting and firefighters. I hate transitional attack your helmets and tuna for lunch. I yeah. think that, oh, and you're a Pearl Jam super fan. Yes, I am. Brother, that sums up who you are, and uh, that's the type of guy that I'd love to roll with. So, brother, thank you for joining us today. Welcome. It really was um, an important message that you shared. And for you to open up and be personal about your father and your experiences on the line. Uh, me in the world and, and for that I'm forever grateful so I appreciate it thank thanks you for all. joining us today thank you thank it was a you. great time thank awesome you. Appreciate it. guys thanks for tuning in another incredible episode with Jason Urban uh, retired out of Warwick Rhode Island Fire Department and uh, Rob Ridley thanks for joining me again pal thanks for having me I love it I could come here every day and I do know. a podcast so it's uh, this is an HGTV set of leather helmets tradition culture <laughs> doesn't get much better than this no, no. So and next time you come back, it'll be completely different. Yeah. Completely <laughs> different. And that's just an inside joke, but it's very much true. So for Pete Callen, the uh, owner and proprietor of Ragtop and his crew here, um, they are have been uh, a good time for a good long term friend, and uh, they do incredible work here. Check them out, Ragtop Industries on social media, uh, and uh, this will be my new future home for the rest of our episodes because uh, I just like it here. So yeah, we'll yeah. be coming back. So guys, thanks for tuning in, All Jeremy right. and Rob, National Fire Radio.